This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. This is a live locker room edition. We are going to be getting into, for people who are just entering the room, we're going to be getting into some NBA trade ideas, some who says no, since we have the deadline coming up on March 25th. And then there will be an ask me anything. We already have questions lined up. Um, a bunch came in from Twitter, but if you're in the room and listening and you're, you're rolling with us, we hope you all stay. Uh, we're going to answer your questions. You can ask us anything. Basketball, no show talk, brands that you need recommendations for. We're, we're all game for it. But first, Adam. My my fantabulous co-host, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm just hoping we have fewer technical difficulties this time around since we were struggling to figure out the locker room app on our, our first live episode last week. But now there's just a new source of havoc since I have over a foot of snow in my backyard right now and the power is flickering and you could be on your own before too long here. Um, let's hope it doesn't come to that because I would feel terrible for our listeners, but Look, I came up with a few NBA trade ideas, many of which were focused on the Rockets because they seem like they are um, the only team that's like very much selling at the moment. So can I throw them at you and, and see what you think before we get into our Ask Me Anything? Absolutely, though. I do want to follow up on the only team that feels like it's going to be selling. Do you expect it to stay that way or do we think that like the Thunder are going to enter that mix with like George Hill and and Trevor Ariza, who hasn't yet played this season, or anyone else. So there's they're de- the Thunder are already definitely selling, but the problem with them is like a beyond George Hill, who hasn't played after having right thumb surgery. I think it was right thumb thumb surgery. I don't know who wants Trevor Ariza at twelve point eight million when he hasn't played this year, unless you're taking back a bad deal, which I'm sure they're also willing to do. At the same time, they just don't have like the Rockets just have a bunch of players to sell that are interesting, which is also weird to say, because if these players are so good, why do the Rockets absolutely suck? Right. And it's just, they've been injured, but it feels like such a weird deadline in general too, both because we have 10 teams who are going to be competing for those play in spots. And just even those teams at the bottom of the standings, it's hard to actually pinpoint explicit sellers because it's, it's like the Kings don't really want to. The Timberwolves are doing the opposite. Like we, we heard the rumors the other day that they were interested in adding John Collins. Uh, the Pistons don't really have anyone of interest left. The Wizards are more competitive now. The Cavs are more competitive now. The Magic are never going to sell because they're the Magic. So yeah, I mean, like it does feel like it's only the, the, only the Rockets right now. Um, I... I'm, I'm, t- I'm just, and they're going to be the team that just makes a ton of moves. Like that's also the team that you look at because they have so many different pieces. And so, and the contenders are going to be the one that's like sort of vulturing on them and trying to uh, pick up those players. So the first one to throw to you involves the Nets and the Rockets. I have the Nets getting Daniel House and PJ Tucker. The Rockets receive Spencer Dinwiddie, and the play there is he will opt out and he will own his bird rights. 
Now, before that, you could try and reroute him to another team. But they also get a 2021 second round pick, uh, which comes via Atlanta, which, you know, surprise, surprise, could be mid, mid thirties, low forties at this point. And then a 2025 second round pick from Golden State. It seems realistic to me. I, I can see why the Nets would want both House and Tucker. I can definitely see why the Rockets would be intrigued by acquiring Dinwiddie's bird rights, even if he's not going to make an impact this se- season, which kind of goes without saying. Um, I, I don't want it to happen, though. Like I, I feel like the Nets should just lean so fully into this offense-first model because it's going to work. Like we, we've We've seen how quickly... James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant have managed to coalesce around one, an- one another on the few opportunities they've even been on the court together to this point. And like, yeah, Tucker kind of fills that void as the small ball five who can guard every position on the floor, even if his three-point shot is no longer as reliable at this stage of his career. But I just, I don't know that I want it to happen because I'd rather just see them just lean all the way into this offense over everything mindset. You are currently sharing that mindset with someone who uh, was in the Bleach Report comment section said he would rather them lean into offense and trade for Wayne Ellington, who would play more than P.J. Tucker. And I think P.J. Tucker brings just so much more of what they need. And even if Kevin Durant's not going to be uh, healthy, I don't like I just don't know why you would focus on offense if you're if you're Brooklyn at this point. I mean, yeah, I I don't know that they can really go wrong if Dinwiddie is being used as the trade piece. Because ultimately, like, they're probably not going to re-sign him this offseason, I would think, if he's not traded, just because there's so much money allocated toward the big three, and you don't need that, like, redundant luxury piece. As good as Dinwiddie is, that's that's what he will be on this team. So, like, whether they're acquiring more offensive firepower or a defensive versatile wing slash forward slash small ball big man like Tucker. Like, I don't know that there's a bad decision if they do want to move Dinwiddie. It's tough because Dinwiddie is so good that the idea of getting a 35-year-old P.J. Tucker and then Daniel House, who does have a year left on his deal and can guard bigger wings, is not necessarily ideal. But at the same time, he's injured, and I don't know. You can't pay him would be my... you know. No, you can't. But yeah, so that's why it's like, I think from from Brooklyn's perspective... I'm probably just going to say yes, like regardless of what they're getting back for Dinwiddie, just given the situation. But I think like, I don't know that I would prefer Ellington to Tucker for this team, but I like the idea of just leaning even more into the offensive exploits. I, I definitely disagree, but um, yeah, <laughs> let's get to the next one. So this one involves the Nuggets. I have them getting Aaron Gordon from the Magic for Will Barton. PJ Dozier and a 2023 second round pick. Yeah, I mean, I'm in. I'm in if the stock on Gordon has fallen to that extent. Like you, you still get this this super exciting high upside, do all sorts of things, just none of them extremely well forward and Aaron Gordon. And I, I would love to see like the two man big game with him and Jokic together. Like that that still sounds so fun. Well, two things. Is is it really that low? Because Will Barton has not been as prolific as he was last season, but he can still generate his own offense, help table set for others. And I guess I would view him as a value, not a value, but good value if he picks up his, it's like a $14 million player option, where he gets less valuable to the Magic. Because look, the Magic need the, that guy I just described. They need as many of those guys as they can get right now. And I so I didn't think, I actually wasn't trying to, 
undervalue Gordon here, even though he's been dealing with that uh, sprained ankle for, I think, since the beginning of February, basically. Uh, they need a guy like Martin. If they don't want to re-sign him, then it becomes a matter of, yes, Dozier is good, shooting like 38 39% from three this year, and he's taking on some really good defensive responsibilities. My question is, let's say Barton is going to opt out. The Magic realize that, and they say, we want your 2021 first instead of the 2023 second. Are you, if you're Denver, are you still doing this? I don't think so for the exact reason that Jeremy Brenner, and I apologize if I am mispronouncing that, just said in our, our discussion on the locker room app, which is that Gordon might be too injury prone for a contender to take that kind of risk. Like at the price of a second round pick, and Will Barden and PJ Dozier. I think that's a risk I'm willing to take just because the fit does look so good on both ends of the floor. Um, but if, if we're talking about a first round pick, then that might be where I draw the line and start looking at other targets who I, I know that I can count on a little bit more. Like ultimately the, the floor is going to be a little low for Gordon. I kind of agree. If you can still work it where maybe you're keeping Dozier and then you're giving up your first round pick instead, if the Magic don't want him, which I, I think they should absolutely want him. And I, I agree with Jeremy's sentiments too, that he might be a little injury prone. Also, some of the questions that I received on um, Twitter was, how does that work? Because you have Millsap and Jermichael Green and then Jokic. I think Gordon is not a three to me, but in Denver, he could be. And there's also Michael Porter Jr. there. Those two could be interchangeable, but if Gordon's playing off the ball, he can be a three because it doesn't matter what he's doing off the ball. And we know he can defend three through five, I would say definitely three and four. And no, he's not a lockdown defender when you're looking at one-on-one situations, but I do think he helps. And I think it also allows you to downsize further in those non Jokic minutes where, you know, I don't know if you want Millsap and green or green as the only big, I don't know if you want them as the two bigs, uh, mm-hmm. But with Gordon there, things get interesting. And so, look, and Denver's defense has been hot lately, by the way. They're top seven in defense over their past 14 games. Opponents aren't shooting well from three, sub 33%, so that's going to normalize. I like the Gordon pickup for them. He has a year left on his deal, too, and is still relatively young. So the fact that he kind of aligns with the Jokic-Murray timeline, too, um, I actually would if, if Orlando came back and said, we want the first end Dozier, I actually might consider it. Um, especially if Will Barton's going to to opt out. Now, I think I've right. talked it's like right on the cusp that. of that. Yeah, I I think my only outstanding concern there would just be the fit within Denver's defensive system. Just because Mike Malone never has that defense gamble too much, it tends to be a try to stay between your man and the basket um, instead of like selling out for those steals and transition opportunities, which isn't always how Gordon has liked to play on the defensive end. So it might not be like a super ideal fit but the value could still supersede that. I'm going to respond to Jeremy to see, or if he's listening, Jeremy says the Rockets might outbid the Nuggets if that's the offer. Intriguing. If you want to drop in the chat what you think uh, the Rockets offer would be, that would beat it. I would be fascinated to know. I didn't consider um, Houston acting as like a quasi buyer here, but I'll move on to the next one really quick. Let's uh, let's alternate. Let's go back to a Rockets trade. This one (laughs) is going to break people's brains because it's such a blockbuster. The Clippers receive Sterling Brown. The Rockets receive Fiondu Cabangeli, and a 2023 second-round pick comes via Portland. Now, the justification here is Sterling Brown has been really good this year. He is shooting, I think he's at 39.7% from three. But the, the bigger thing here for me is that the Clippers need someone who's not Patrick Beverly to kind of check point guards, and Sterling Brown can do that. And he's also run a little point guard. He's not getting the playmaking that the Clippers might necessarily want. But they're saving like 
up, you know, a million bucks here or something like that, which gives them more wiggle room under the hard cap to use on the buyout market. And if you're Houston, you're getting a second round pick for signing a player that you're not going to keep who you picked up for free, essentially in free agency. So this was when I looked at the comment section of where I published this trade, uh, people were kind of making fun of it, but I actually really like it as sort of a look, the Clippers are hard cap. They don't have a ton of assets. And I think this really, at least it improves their depth for sure. And I think gives them options at how they're defending point guards, which has been a problem for them this season. I like it if for no other reason than giving Fiondu Cabangeli a chance to actually play. It's like he was, he was a first round pick round back in the 20. 20- I'm sorry. We never see first round guys have their third year team option declined when they're that cheap. Right, right. But I mean, this guy was a, a first round pick in 2019. He, he has like three and D upside as a six, nine big man. Like he, he is a very intriguing mold in today's NBA, but he played. 5.3 minutes per game and 12 appearances as a rookie and has played 86 total minutes this season. And I, again, like I, I like it if for no other reason than getting him some sort of opportunity to play minutes for an NBA team. I, I do think you can get more for Sterling Brown given how he's playing well, right now. But that's like, what I was going to, that's what Jeremy pointed out. And the Clippers do have three Detroit Pistons second rounders in 2024, 2025, and 2026. And if I was Houston, I would absolutely, I think I would accept 2024 because are the Pistons, I mean, you could go deeper and expect the Pistons to be bad, but take the closest one and there's a chance the Pistons aren't good and that's like mid-30s. I think for Sterling Brown, I don't know that you're going to get better than that. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. Sterling Brown for Troy Brown. That'd be interesting. That's from Jeremy Brenner as well. The Wizards could use someone like Sterling Brown too or basically anyone who plays consistent defense for them. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Non, I'm going to try and alternate here. Non-Rockets trade, because I have so many. Lakers receive Garrett Temple. Bulls receive Wes Matthews, Alfonso McKinney, and two second round picks, 2023 and 2024. Yeah, I'm good with that one as well. I like the idea of Temple in LA. Um, I, I feel like his season has flown a little bit under the radar just because he's playing for the Bulls, but he's been a pretty steady option. Uh, and ultimately, like the more depth the Lakers can acquire, the better for them. Yeah, Wes Matthews has been bad for them, by the way, too. 27.8% from three since January 15th. Um, and if you're Chicago... They just moved veterans into the starting lineup. So I don't know that they should sell. I'm not saying they need to trade Zach Levine, but Thaddeus Young, Garrett Temple. I'm going to look at Larry Markin in trades if I'm them. You know, see what, see what you can get because you're, this isn't the season is my point. And Garrett Temple, especially, you don't have bird rights on him. You don't really need them at his $4.7 million salary. Still, maybe you keep Wes Matthews, who's not going to give you the same um, positional optionality on defense or the same ball handling on offense. But if you want, to plug him into your lineup, he can take Temple's minutes, or you can maybe try and move him for another second round pick. Because I do think that you know, a team like Boston just needs wing depth in general beyond Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. Right. Yeah, it, it does feel like Chicago should sell all the pieces. I just don't know if it's going to happen, which is such a weird situation because you would think that Arturas Karnasovas would like want to move forward into getting toward his guys rather than these holdovers from the previous regime. But it, it does feel like. As as obvious as it seems, 
a Thaddeus Young trade should be in particular that I just, I don't know if it's going to happen. It's so easy. It's so easy for these lower tier teams this season to convince themselves that they're still in the playoff picture because of that play in situation. Um, I'm going to go to a chat question because related to this, Jack Kennedy asked any potential warriors trades at the trade deadline with them. And I'll be the first one to answer it. This is very much to me. I don't want to say all or nothing, but unless they can get a Bradley Beal or a Carl Anthony Towns, which they can't, I want to make that clear, or maybe a Zach Levine, and I don't even think they would do it for Zach Levine, they're just not going to move. They don't have, you know, you can use Kelly Oubre Jr., but Kelly Oubre Jr. and what to get who improves your team? I think you're looking at James Wiseman, you're looking at that Minnesota pick, top three protected uh, this year and they currently have the worst record in the league i believe i I think they're still um, behind the pistons in that regard i i don't know that they have a medium-sized move in them and so i don't know that i think they should go all in if they could get zach levine if they could get bradley beal i'm throwing minnesota's pick on the table if it's bradley beal i'm not going to blink twice about giving up james wiseman as well uh but i my gut says they're not going to do anything. And I, I think part of it is because they overestimate their own ability to like get production or, or develop guys. And they missed on a lot of look late first round picks are hard. All first round picks are hard, but while they were really good, they weren't really hitting on these, you know, the Jordan pools of the world. Yep. And now they're in this weird position where the offense is just absolute. It's terrible. When Steph's off the floor, their, their shot selection with Stephen Curry off the court would make people from 1993 blush. It's bad. I I agree with you on the star level trades, unless it's Beal or Levine or someone who we just haven't even heard floated at this point, who surprisingly becomes available just before the deadline. I don't think that there's a move out there that's going to involve the Minnesota pick and or James Wiseman. I I do still think we're going to see some sort of periphery move just dealing a second round pick for a fringe rotation guy who can give Steve Kerr someone new to work with, who can inject a little bit of of fresh air into the rotation. Um, I don't think it's going to be like this playoff altering acquisition or anything. And I don't really know even what kind of move it's going to be, but just given the way Steve Kerr has talked about the need for help, given the way that Steph in particular has reacted to his teammates shortcomings lately. <laughs> I, I think that we're going to see something. I would be pretty surprised if there's no move whatsoever by the deadline, but because there's no blockbuster just teed up and waiting for them, I, I don't think it's going to be a mid-level move either because that wouldn't make sense. Today of all days as we're recording this, Stephen Curry turns 33 underscores how I think they're blowing. And look, they won three titles with him. I get it, but you have a top five player still in his prime and you decided at least to you know poorly build the supporting cast around him, and I know they didn't have a ton of options. And I thought the Wanamaker pickup was actually good, but you know the Ubre thing was always questionable because it's like, oh, let's just surround you know you already have Wiggins and Dre, let's surround them with more sub sub average shooters. Never made sense to me. And Ubre's played pretty well since his atrocious beginning. I'm with you in in every sense, I guess, except for the fact that I'm not convinced that they'll make a move at the time because I don't know what it is. But um, I'll I'll close on this. Anyone who can handle the ball or at least run the offense for a little bit without Steph would be huge. Can you guess where their offensive rating ranks when Steph is in is when Steph is on the bench? Oh, terribly. It's going to be like third percentile. Zero with percentile. And I'm not even sure if the zero with percentile is a thing, but that's how it's listed on cleaning the glass. 
I, I do think Jeremy's question is is intriguing, though. If Clay was there, where would they be in the standings? So, like, I, I assume that we're just inserting him into the mix with the current rotation. So, the Warriors are already nineteen and nineteen at the time we're recording this, which puts them in a tie with the Memphis Grizzlies, who have admittedly played four fewer games for ninth place in the Western Conference. I, I think with a healthy Clay, even if it's like post Achilles injury, post ACL injury, that we're still looking at a top four team in the West. Probably. I I feel like he makes that much of a difference. Just the spacing that creates so much easier paths to the basket for Wiggins that creates more space on the interior for Wiseman that takes more defensive pressure away from Steph and the stat that Dan just mentioned with the zeroth percentile when Steph is off the floor, that doesn't happen because you can at least mitigate that decline somewhat by having Clay and his gravity still on the floor. I think that I think his presence can easily be worth five plus wins at this stage of the season already. I'd probably agree with you. And maybe you're incentivized to play Draymond a little bit more without Steph because you have more spacing around him because right now they just mirror those two minutes together, which is fine because you want to maximize the minutes that you're playing with your stars. I would probably say, look there, I think they're going to be eight, nine or 10 in the West would be my guess. I, they're going to be in the play-in. I don't know that, Clay gets them out of that territory. Like I still think they'd be seven, eight, nine, ten with him. Maybe they're just more likely to be seven than they are ten. This one was interesting, and I ran it by Suns people. FYI, Phoenix Suns PJ Tucker for Javon Carter, Etwan Moore, and a twenty twenty three second round pick. And uh, the one thing I'll say that I think the Rockets would haggle over is why not Abdul Nader? He's playing too well, and I think Houston has lost all sort of leverage with P.J. Tucker because he's not with the team anymore. He also has not played well. And so in this scenario, you're getting Javon Carter, who is not playing for the Suns, but he's he's a defensive bulldog. You play him and Deshaun Tate at the same time. You even play him next to John Wall if you want to, too, with those three. You might be able to do some real things defensively. I believe if he plays more, his three-point shot will um, round into form because he was lights out last year, even before he went to the bubble. And um, I don't know if each one more helps you, but you're just not, you know, Nader would be good. And if you could get him, if it's Javon Carter and Nader, I don't know if you would need to include a second round pick, but the 2023 second is interesting if you're Houston, because uh, that's the first year that Chris Paul won't be on this contract. Is he still in Phoenix? Maybe, but he might not be. And do you have confidence in the Suns to rebuild in the absence of Chris Paul to sort of retool on the fly there? Um, I would, I would take this deal if I was Houston, I actually like it a little bit better for them than I do for Phoenix. Um, but for Phoenix's rationale, Dario Sarge at the five lineups are destroying opponents at both ends. And Dario is defending really well. He's closed some games at the five because Aiton's been so inconsistent. You know I'm a big DeAndre Aiton fan. Uh, but if you have to deal with his inconsistency, and now you're at a point where you might want to close games with Dario, I don't know if that works against every team. A Lakers team with Anthony Davis. Um, a Jazz team with Rudy Gobert. Nuggets with Jokic, for sure. And P.J. Tucker, I don't know that he's a much better match for Gobert, or uh, he's definitely a better match for Davis than Saric, um, Dario Sharts. I don't know, you know, when you get into the Gobert's and, and Jokic, I still think he's going to be better than Sharts in those scenarios. And so now you've allowed yourself to sort of diversify your your closing unit options. So that's where I was coming from with this. All I really have to add there, because I can hear you again, is uh, as soon as you mentioned that trade idea, my my head just started thinking about a potential lineup with Javon Carter, Chris Paul, Mikhail Bridges, PJ Tucker, and Dario Saric. And I, I don't know how you score on that. I would just that would be so much fun and so rangy and so switchable. And I want to see it now. Yeah, so the Suns are good. I 
you can, I will still make the case that I think they're the biggest threat to the the LA teams in the West. And maybe people don't even think the Clippers belong in that conversation at this point themselves. Um, I'm I'm just fascinated by it. Um, and Jeremy Brenner says he proposed that exact trade on Dream Shake on SB Nation. Um, Jeremy, I can promise you that I did not steal it because I did propose it in an earlier variation where they were getting Abdel Nader. But uh, that is, I guess, great minds, like-minded. Uh, but I think that that's an interesting one for both teams to consider. Uh, a non-Rockets trade now is what we're due for. This one is, so Joel Embiid, and we have a question about him later, and we're wrapping up here on, on the trades. Uh, out for at least two weeks, it's probably going to be closer to a month because he's going to be reevaluating two two weeks with a bone bruise in his um, left knee. And I don't think, you know, the Sixers have Dwight Howard. They have Tony Bradley. They have Mike Scott. Um, I think that they could use just, they need another big. And if he can shoot, you know, they've already been linked to Nemanja Bielica. And no, I'm not talking about 2018 when he signed with them only to renege and then sign with the Kings of all teams. But they, Sham Sharania said they have been interested in him this year. And he's not shooting well in Sacramento, but he's a career a 39% shooter uh, since entering the NBA. I think in Philly, he'll get better shots, more consistent playing time. The trade here was Philly gets Nemanja Bielica for Terrence Ferguson, Vincent Poirier, and a 2023 second-round pick. It's the more favorable between Atlanta, Brooklyn, um, Charlotte, and Philadelphia. I'm going to let you continue to justify this because I'm only hearing every other word. <laughs> and it's fine by me. So, look, if you're the Kings, you're not getting anything of real value for Bielita, in at least in my opinion, and who, I don't run an NBA team, so we'll have to see how, how that goes. That being said, um, that second – you know, even if they top 32 protected or something, you know, Atlanta, Charlotte, are those teams that you you think are going to be good in 2023? Maybe Atlanta, but Charlotte, yes, they have LaMelo Ball. And look, there's also Brooklyn here. I would short their futures. Just, I'm not saying they will be bad, but one of those three teams could be sending you a second round pick in the 30s. And if it's for a player that you're not really playing now, you don't really need, he's not going to be with you after next season. And the other thing is, you don't need Poirier, but Terrence Ferguson, you don't really have wings. You you waived Glenn Robinson. He's worth stabbing the dark minutes to me. He was a first-round pick for a reason. Um, an athletic dude who really can't shoot. But the Kings, if I were them, you could at least try them out. And if um, Adam is still – Jeremy Brenner says – and I, or Jeremy Brenner says Daryl Morey and Monty McNair have the rapport to make a trade like that happen for Bielitsa. Um, I definitely agree there. Logan – Logan Alton says, was it Belly that almost signed with Philly and pulled out the last second? Was that a bridge burner? Uh, it was Bell, um, Belly that did that. And then he signed with the Kings of all teams, I might point out. So I feel like he's been punished enough because he's been on the Kings for the last two plus seasons. But I mentioned this earlier, Logan, maybe you didn't hear it. Uh, Philly has reportedly been interested in him this season. And it's a different front office regime because Daryl Morey is running it. So I don't think that they're going to to hold a grudge, but I, you know, if they are, I mean, look, he left Philly for the Kings. Like, you know, maybe that's unforgivable and that, and that unforgivability, if you will, is ingrained into the organization or something. I have two more trades to throw out here while we're waiting for um, Adam to get back up and run. Oh, he is back up and running. So what did you think of my blockbuster Bielita deal? What little I heard of it sounded great. All right. We're just going to, I'm how's, I how's that. that for a, a fence sitting answer because I had no idea what the details were. So this trade is for the, is for the nerds out there and it is the Milwaukee Bucks receive Austin rivers from the New York Knicks in exchange for DJ Wilson and a 23 second, uh, 2023 second round pick the rationale here. And this is not sexy, but the Bucks are saving a little over a million bucks 
that'll give them more wiggle room under the hard cap to use on the buyout market because they are, I think they're sub will um, sub $1 million under the hard cap. When you factor in drew holidays on um, his incentives, which are like close to 4 million this year. But if you're the bucks and you're also cheap, you could, if drew holidays incentives don't hit, you're very close then to ducking the tax entirely after making this deal. That's something you can consider beyond that. However, I think rivers actually helps the bucks um, he's fallen completely on the Knicks rotation, but he was knocking down 42.6% of his threes um, through his first 13 games. And he gives you someone with better size than DJ Augustine or Bryn Forbes who can create off the dribble. And we also saw Houston get away defensively using him on some bigger guards and wings. Rolling the dice on him too, it's not just zero risk for me. It's also high reward because he has two fully non-guaranteed years after this. Um, two years, I think $6.7 million um, or six six $6.5 million actually. You can, if it works out, now you have a cheap player that's helping you. If it doesn't, you can say goodbye, no, you know, no cost, no foul there. And the other thing is, I don't, this would be a question for you, Adam. If you have Austin Rivers and just knowing how, I know what DJ Augustine can in theory do on the ball, but knowing how poorly he shot, does it at all embolden you to maybe look at Augustine plus seconds to try and get PJ Tucker then on the Bucks, who would be a fantastic fit? It does. I, I think that he would be a good fit, but I, I like this deal, um, the one that you originally proposed here, just because the, the self-creating ability that Rivers brings is important. Even if it hasn't been enough for him to stay in Tom Thibodeau's rotation in New York, like he can create shots off the bounce, whether he's attacking the rim, whether he's taking three-pointers. They don't always go in, of course, but you know, in the playoffs, we've seen each last two years how Milwaukee's oh, offense has stalled. And I think that the ability to have that extra ball handler, especially in lineups where you have to have both Giannis and Chris Middleton off the floor does matter. Yeah. And look, I don't think he's going to be the difference between them winning a title or not, but if you can save salary and get, you know, I I don't know. I honestly don't even know why Austin Rivers is in the next rotation. He was playing so bad, but at the same time, it's like they have Rose, they have MVP Frank Nielakina. So I kind of get it, but I'm surprised that. That's that starter Nielakina now. Yeah, well, at least for at least for a game there. Um, the last trade here, and this is just this is just another barn burner of a trade. It's, it's really not, but it actually might be my favorite one. And it's a, our final Rockets trade. So congratulations, we've made it. Um, the Jazz receive Daniel House, and then the Rockets receive uh, Yudoka Azabuki and Elijah Hughes. Um, and just for anyone who doesn't know, um, Azabuki was the number twenty-seven pick in the twenty twenty draft, and Elijah Hughes. Uh, a, a rangy wing was number 39. The Jazz can include a second, but if you're getting someone who was a first round pick um, to maybe give some center minutes to in Houston, I don't know that you would necessarily need it. And Elijah Hughes is even interesting because he's on a really cheap salary for next year, but you can throw a second round pick in for in this to give up Daniel House. I don't know if Houston wants to move Daniel House just because his value has probably never been lower. He is dealing with a knee injury at the moment, not shot well from three. He'll shoot better from three in the jazz system because everyone shoots better from three in the jazz offensive system. But this seems like the, I know they signed Ersan Ilyasova, but they like a house type defender is what they need. We've seen him guard some fives, but a lot of fours and threes in Houston over the past couple of years. And look, the season's not taking place in the bubble. So he's, he's probably going to help your team instead of hurting it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take it from the opposite perspective here. And I feel similar to this one as I did about the cabin jelly trade you proposed, where I would like to see Azabuki get a chance in a rotation on with a team that's really going to play him. 
uh, which which Houston would be in a position to do. Uh, I, I still don't think that the Jazz were just blowing smoke when they said how high they had Azubuki on their board. I wish I remembered the exact number coming out of the 2020 draft, but I feel like it was it was something like uh, they had him like top five on their board or something. And like in a lot of Did ways, they know he, they were picking like you know, <laughs> right? So late. right. Maybe. And they never really specified that. But I, I do think like the the idea that he could be like a Rudy Gobert simulacrum, just a, another rangy guy who's good at protecting the basket, who's good at showing and recovering when he's defending the pick and roll. Like he can be a legitimate difference maker on the defensive end at the five. Um, and, and just giving him the opportunity to do that makes sense. And they, the, the Jazz don't need him because they signed Derek Favors and they... Right extended Rudy Gobert. The other thing I'll say, the move would be if the Jazz want to do something else. I don't know what it is, but you move Derek Favors because he's playing like 17 minutes a game and do downsize or something like that if you want it. But I, I think what they need is like inferior guy like House. Um, if Jazz don't need who? Um, Azabuki. That was uh, Quay Wavy. Um, so let's get into if if anyone actually wants to speak and Adam is managing it. We're, we'll lot 30 seconds worth of questions or statements that we'll respond to, but we also have a bunch of pent up questions we'll, we'll answer as well that I'll go through. So if you have questions, want to speak, please do that now. I'm ping and we'll get to you. I will say Logan Alton in the chat said, would Utah be able to keep one of the rooks and swap um, Nang, uh, George Yang in? I think they would want to keep him because right now he might be one of the guys that has to go up if they don't make changes. It's going to be him or O'Neal or I guess Ingles, um, they might even throw um, Oni in there. Like those are the, and, and Yang, um, George Yang, sorry, I always mispronounce his name. Those are going to be the, the guys that they use against the bigger wings right now. And if I was Houston actually, and I could get Azubuki and, and Yang, I might prefer that even though Yang's about to be a, a free agent. Yang has played pretty well lately too. I feel like they're just consistently winning the minutes that he's on the court, no matter who he's playing with lately. Just the the defensive activity, the ability to move the ball. He's knocking down his threes. Like I, I've been pretty impressed with how he's been performing lately. Uh, we have a question from the chat. So why don't we go from that? Uh, Quay Wavy, I hope I'm not mispronouncing as a Q Wavy. You could let me know in the chat. Who do you guys have winning MVP now that Embiid most likely won't get it due to missing many games? I will combine that with the other Embiid question that we had, which came from longtime listener Miroslav Shook. Does Joel Embiid's injury stop his MVP candidacy? Um, I will let you answer, but I will say two weeks is going to be about eight games. And that's when he's reevaluated. He's already 79th in the league in total minutes played, where Jokic is number two. And LeBron, age 36, year 18, coming off the shortest sports season, uh, sports offseason in history, is 10th. So what what do you think? I do think that it's going to make it awfully difficult for Embiid to win. This was not just from purely from a narrative perspective. This is not great timing for him to miss a minimum of two weeks, just because the focus is shifting to that MVP conversation. I feel like on Twitter, we're seeing daily debates about it, whether LeBron has ascended to the top, the Jokic versus Embiid debate, et cetera, et cetera. So missing two weeks right now, I don't think it's an absolute death knell for his MVP candidacy. If he comes back and the the Sixers absolutely take off and he continues playing like he was prior to the injury, it is going to be a significant hurdle. The only thing I'm really certain of in the MVP race right now is that no one should be certain. Um, Like 
Jokic, I, I think, should be the front runner right now if you're okay with an MVP coming from a sixth seed in the West, which is what the Nuggets are right now. Um, everyone has differing opinions on that. And without a, a preordained, defined set of criteria for MVP candidacy, there's no way to say that definitively. Like, if you want to put LeBron up there, for the work that he's doing in this age 36, 18th season in the NBA, like by all means, I, I don't think that he, he would be at the top of mind right now, given how much the Lakers have struggled to remain on that same level without Anthony Davis in the lineup. Um, if you're moving James Harden back up, given how well he's played with the Nets, if I'm you're sorry. No, you can't short circuit a team season for like nine games. And I, then... I'm with you. This is not okay. my personal ballot. <laughs> I'm just laying out the options here. You know, I, I think that, that Giannis should be gaining a little bit of momentum right now. He's arguably playing better right now than he did at any point last season. Uh, the Bucks are climbing towards that number one seed in, in the East. It, it might be easier for them to get it now that Embiid is out for two weeks. Uh, and if we're not considering the voter fatigue that is surely to play a part in this conversation, like Giannis deserves a lot of a lot of credit as well. So there are so many options, and I don't think that there's enough of a clear cut front runner that we should have any definitive opinions because so much is going to depend on the second half of the season. Couple comments on this before we get to a question from Fred, and then after Fred, we'll get to yours and Neilio Silfa. Um, thank you both for asking them. Uh, Jeremy Brenner points out the Sixers are bad over the two weeks. That might help his campaign a little bit. I probably agree. I just don't know how many voters look at the quality of a player's minutes when they're missing that much time versus a LeBron or a Jokic who's going to play so much more often. And the other thing is, if it was only going to be two weeks, I might agree. But we also know the the Sixers are dog shit without him already. And if he misses a month, like that probably ends up, and I think it's going to be closer to a month and at least three weeks because he's being reevaluated in two weeks. I would think that this is going to end up hurting his case more than anything. Yeah, I, I, if the Sixers could play poorly and still end up in the number one seed in the East, I think I would agree more. But because part of his candidacy is going to depend on the Sixers having the best record in the East, if they fall out of that spot, I'm not sure that taking away that is going to be negated by how bad they've looked without that. Um, and in response to another comment in the chat, um, where the last player to win MVP three years in a row was Bird. Um, yeah, like I, I think that that does end up playing a part in the MVP conversation, the voter fatigue element. It's why we saw LeBron win fewer MVPs during the, the true prime of his career, as opposed to this extended prime, I guess, than he probably should have. Personally, I don't like to take that into account because MVP should be a single season award, not like a legacy thing or not depending on what happened in the past or what might happen in the future. Like if we're evaluating seasons independently, I think that Giannis is developing more and more of a legitimate case for the 2020-21 season in particular. But yeah, that probably will have an impact in the actual race. Just before I move on to the... RJ Barrett question from Fred. Jeremy Brenner said, this made me laugh. Christian Wood is the real MVP the Rockets haven't won since he went down nearly six weeks ago. I mean, those that's an actual fact. So, uh, look, Adam, I think this question was, was for you and only you. Fred asks, is RJ Barrett's recent play simply a good streak or more indicative of significant progress in year two? I want to say significant progress. I've been impressed with the turn he's taken recently. We're recording this a day after he had 31 points, a career high 31 points um, during their their Saturday afternoon game. Um, 
throughout this season, the, the quality of shots he's been taking have been significantly better than the ones he took during his rookie season. They just haven't all been falling. And it feels like something has clicked for him lately. Like not only is he he playing smarter offensive basketball, but his teammates have looked more willing to get him the ball. They've shown that they have more confidence in him. We're actually finding the net instead instead of the side of the rim. Like I, I, I want to buy in. I'm hesitant because I was bought in before the season started. Um, Dan is still making fun of me for having him at number three on my most improved player ballot but prior I mean, to the season starting. Not anymore, I'm not. I'll let you know that right now. I, I appreciate that. I, I, that's the first time I'm hearing that, and I love it. I want more of the mea culpas. Uh, so, but yeah, like, I, I think maybe I'm a little biased here because I want it to fulfill that preseason prediction, but it feels like this is more of a legit upswing than just some flash in the pan. Yeah, and look, he's shooting. At some point, we're going to have to accept his three-point shooting is fact. 48.1% um, since January 15th, which is more than half the season at that point. And the one thing I think that's probably not being talked about enough is his defense has been solid. And I don't know that people also credit that he's been, I think he's listed at six, six. I'm pretty sure I've seen somewhere that he was six, seven, and that's really going to help him cover certain matchups. And they have Tom Thibodeau hasn't been shy about putting him on, you know, tough assignments. You know, he's not normally covering that's going to be Bullock a lot of the time, but he, you know, he's had to get reps against, uh, when they were playing the Jazz, he he defended um, Boya Bogdanovich a bunch. Uh, so he's he's he defended Kawhi Leonard a little bit, I think, when they were playing the Clippers. And so I think he can be more disruptive as time goes on. There, my concerns for him are still this: I don't know. I'd like to see the free throw attempt rate tick up. The percentage is headed in the right direction, but to do that, he probably needs to operate on the ball a little bit more. And his feel out of the pick and roll, it seems off. But I think it's because he's not running them enough. Only about five per game. And it's working right now, so you don't want to, you know, if it's not broke, don't necessarily fix it. But if if the Knicks want him to be, you know, when you look at the Knicks, I think the question is, and I think some Knicks fans do take this as an insult, is do they have the blue chip cornerstone who can be the best player on a really good team? Julius Randle's a fantastic story. I just long, long term, I don't know if he's that player. It's R.J. Barrett or nothing to me at this point because Mitchell Robinson's really good. You don't want to put quickly in that conversation? What's that? I don't know if uh, look. He's only a rookie, so maybe his offensive game is tantalizing. The floater, the three point shooting, and he's going to be able to hit some stuff off the dribble. So maybe him. But I think RJ Barrett's your best chance at getting there. I think it's worth a reminder too that RJ Barrett turns twenty one in June, in the middle of June. Like he he is still a 21, 20 year old player adjusting to the NBA and coming from a situation at Duke where he played a lot more iso basketball than he's going to on the Knicks like he is still figuring out how to operate in the pick and roll he's still figuring out how to thrive in these off-ball situations when Julius Randle's handling out of the post um this is this is a constant learning experience for him which makes me even more willing to buy into the improvements that we're seeing really quickly and you don't even have to elaborate RJ Barrett is he going to end up having a better career than DeMar DeRozan no no. I'd speak very highly of DeMar DeRozan because I think RJ Barrett has a chance to be an actually good defender. I do too, but I think that the body of work for DeRozan at this point, like you can say what you want to about the on-off splits throughout his career, but that guy is a proven scorer. He has consistently made positive changes to his game. Like even if it's not 
resulting in an inordinate number of wins with the Spurs right now. Like he's having the best facilitating season of his career in his thirties. Like he has been an offensive powerhouse for a long time. I think Barrett could have a higher apex than DeRozan has had, but in general, like I'm going to bet on the guy who's had multiple all-star seasons and even more all-star caliber ones. Uh, this question is from Anoyo Silfa, and I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation there, but he asks, what do you guys think about Oklahoma City's moves lately? I'm assuming he, unless I missed one, um, it's just a trade. They traded Hamadou Diallo for a 2027 second round pick from Detroit, which is just, that's just interesting whenever you get a second round pick from a perennial, not great team that far in the distance. And then Shvi Mayaluk. Uh, Shvi is, he's a better shooter than he's shown this year. And he can, he can shoot like, He's functional shooting. So I think he's going to have great functional shooting in Euroleague. That was wow. It's almost me, but uh, he's, (laughs) I think he's at least someone they could test out. I also thought he was a better defender last season than people were giving him credit for. I think that's a nice flyer. If you're intent to, uh, to, to keep him, Uh, he is only 23 and he's, he's six, seven. That's another guy that I don't think people realize how big he is. And then getting the second round pick is a nice piece of business. Diallo, it was probably smart to move him because he might've gotten like one of those flyer contracts in free agency this summer, just because he was running some point for Oklahoma city. People love guys who can really just smash the hell out of the rim. And if you didn't want to give him money, knowing you're probably gonna have to max out Shea on an extension this year that will kick in during his fifth season. um, I totally get it. So a nice piece of business there. I'm interested to see what they do at the deadline. And we talked about this briefly, but Ariza, George Hill, and even Al Horford. Look, if I was a team, I would trade for Al Horford. And my spiciest take is that the Blazers would be better off, a better team, if they traded Yusuf Nurkic and Rodney Hood for Al Horford. There might need to be another salary in there. but That, I, that is pretty spicy. Given I how good Nurkic has looked between injuries. I'm trying, but Al Horford is really good. It's the con- Look, if throw the contract. Horford has been way. fantastic lately. Like throwing aside the fact that he is not permitted to play in the second half of back-to-backs when he's been on the court lately, he's looked way better than anything we could have expected coming off that disaster with the 76ers. I'm, I'm going to stand by it and I hope um, Tara Bowen Biggs isn't listening to this and I hope she doesn't hate me. (laughs) (laughs) You're burning some bridges here. Our our editor at Bleach Report, BK Knox, uh, my, well, my boss at Bleach Report was a, was not let's say he just wasn't a fan of the take when I when I broached <laughs> it with him. <laughs> um, uh, we we did have a question from Logan Alton who asked, "What about R.J. Barrett or Anthony Edwards?" And Dan, do you want to give my answer for me? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's R.J. Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm I'm not out on Anthony Edwards just yet. And we had another question, which was, "Why is Anthony Edwards last in the league in total points added?" And is that a bad harbinger for his future? Can can we plead he's a rookie? I know you're not high. Exactly. No, 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 no. That's what I was going to say the same thing. Colin Sexton was la- last in TPA during his rookie season because that's just what we see when we have inexperienced players who are suddenly tasked with filling monumentally large offensive roles. Ultimately, Anthony Edwards is a 19-year-old who's taking 15.2 shots per game. He doesn't get to the free throw line much. He isn't an advanced passer. He's playing 
poor defense on one of the worst, if not the worst defensive teams in basketball. Like that's just not a recipe for statistical success. I think that if you're watching Anthony Edwards during his rookie season, regardless of whether you were super high on him and thought he should be the number one pick or like me thought that he was going to veer further into bus territory, which remains painful as a university of Georgia alum. um, you, You want to be watching for what he can do, not what he is doing. Like ultimately view whatever is happening this season as necessary speed bumps, as necessary roadblocks that he's going to have to get by at some point. And he's working his way through them right now. You can already see that his feel for the game is improving on both ends of the floor. Like he's, he's making sharper, quicker rotations on defense. They're not always correct, but he looks more confident. He looks like he knows what the the play calls are. He, has a better sense for where to be off the ball and when to cut and when to move into space and how to anticipate space. Like you can very easily watch a couple minutes of Anthony Edwards playing right now, compare it to his first few games in the league and see noticeable improvement. Even if he's still going to be trending down in metrics because of the situation he's in, like that is by no means a harbinger of a 100% bust career as a number one pick. I still have questions about his upside, uh, but like I, I'm not discouraged by what he's done as a rookie. I'm going to throw this back at Logan, uh, assuming he's still listening. Would you have Anthony Edwards over RJ Barrett? I know you cover the Timberwolves, that's why I'm asking. And you know, are you higher on Anthony Edwards? Like, I, w- I want to know what the Timberwolves fans' perception is of Anthony Edwards at this point, because there are I get asked more about. Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed at this point than I do about Anthony Edwards. So uh, that's just been something that's interesting. And that was, I mentioned that we had another Anthony Edwards question. I think that was from Andrew Blake was one who asked it. And now we have two Nets questions. Um, This one comes from Q Wavy. Is there a team that can truly compete with Brooklyn and all the talent they have? But Meyer Rothbaum also asked, could the Nets still win the East slash title without Kevin Durant? I think Q's one is... Uh, a good place to start. Do you think that the Nets should be prohibitive title favorites with a healthy Kevin Durant, Adam? I don't think so. Just because when you're building a one-way team in the playoffs, one cold spell and you're done. Like the Nets are not going to win games on the defensive end. That's just a fact at this point. Their offense is so ridiculously potent that they could very easily still win a title in spite of that weakness. Um, but I don't think it's by any means a guarantee, especially during a season where it feels like there are so many teams that are capable of winning that title. I mean, Dan, would you be would you be surprised if the Utah Jazz has what it takes this season? Just one word answers for me. No. Yeah, I mean, would you be surprised if Chris Paul finally gets over the hump and wins a title with this Suns team? This is going to be more than one word answer. I'm angry you didn't start with the Suns, but no, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm just going down the standings right now. Would you be surprised when Anthony Davis is healthy if he and LeBron James could go back to back? Uh, That wouldn't surprise me. They could definitely go back to back. All right. What about if uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just catch fire? Can they carry the Clippers to a title this season? They can. You think the Nuggets are good enough to win one? I do not. I'm just kidding. They are. They are. I'm just, that was a joke. I was, I was going to follow up on that one, but all right. So now Sixers, they're healthy with Embiid and Ben Simmons. Is it possible? For sure. Can Giannis get, get over the hump this year? For sure. I, the real question is, do you think the Bucks or the Sixers or another team in the East are good enough to beat 
the the Nets because that's the first that's the first roadblock is getting out of the East. Yeah, I mean, and, I, I think so. I think that what we're seeing uh, right now, I think the Bucks might be my pick in the East. Um, just they because up, I, they're they're finally doing, yeah. they do. They have the defensive pieces to counter Brooklyn's best offensive scores, and they're finally doing what we wanted them to do throughout the regular season, which is not just prove that they can win more games than anyone else in the East. It's experimenting. It's trying new rotations. It's trying new ways of getting Giannis the ball and getting other players involved that are eventually going to pan out in the postseason. This feels like a, a very different team from the ones that have flamed out the last two years because they ran into you know a Heat team and a Raptors team or a Sixers team. I'm trying to remember who who beat them in 2019 and blanking. Um, but yeah, this is, this is not the same team. Uh, just a note to Christian. We'll be getting to your question after we finish this Nets question up. I'm totally with everything you said. I might like the Sixers better than against the, the Nets than I do the, the Bucks, uh, because you have Ben Simmons can defend any one of Brooklyn's three stars. And then you have Matisse Seibel who can probably do the same. Uh, maybe you don't want him going up against James Harden just because he's so strong. You also have Danny Green, so those are three. And then you have you have Joel Embiid if he's healthy, just on the back line, messing up floaters and stuff. There's no way to absolutely here's, stop. Here's Go my ahead. follow-up on that. You said that Ben Simmons can reasonably defend any of Brooklyn's three stars, and I agree. Can Giannis? Will Giannis? Look at how the Bucks defend. They've been switching more, so maybe they would. But we, you know, Giannis, I, I, I feel like he's seen more individual tough reps but he's best when he's able to just kind of like break up plays from everywhere. I don't know that Brooklyn will give him the opportunity to do that. Oh, really? So I had the opposite take where I think that that kind of defensive ability is, is more important against Brooklyn because you don't know where the offense is going to come from on any given possession, especially how unselfishly Harden is playing. Like even when he's operating in these ISOs, like we saw the beautiful example of the two-man game with him and DeAndre Jordan the other night where he's breaking down defenders with these through-the-legs dribbles at the top of the key, gets past them, throws it, gets it back, throws an alley-oop. Like, I, I think that how, with the unselfishness with which the Nets have been playing lately, that I think I would rather have that like free safety element in my defense. Uh, all right, so then here would be my counter. I don't know that Chris Middleton is a good matchup for any of those guys. He is okay defensively. He's not great. Drew Holiday can defend probably – I don't think you want him against Kevin Durant. We've seen him defend Kevin Durant in the past. I don't know if you want him. Brooke Lopez is getting played off the floor in that series this season with the way yeah. that he's been moving. And Agreed. Joel Embiid, if he's healthy, is not. But this would be the – this was the second part of that. The Nets question was, can they still win the title of the East if Kevin Durant isn't healthy? Which I don't want to assume that, but this hamstring stuff is – you know, it's getting to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, this is a little concerning. Maybe a I lot. Think it, I think it plays into the first part of my answer to the first question question which is that yes they would still be good enough to do so but you're already working with a smaller margin for error and if you're now taking Durant out of that equation it's not like taking Durant out is improving the defense you're still attempting to overcome that weakness and I think that it's that much harder to string together good offensive performance after good offensive performance when you're relying on the two stars rather than the three. So I think that, yes, it's still possible, but it is significantly more unlikely. How's that for an obvious answer that I backed my way into for a can the Nets win without Kevin Durant question? Yeah, that was the biggest edge. The, the answer is going to be no to me. 
They need the way that they built their roster. Maybe they make an acquisition where I floated. Does how much does Orlando like Dinwiddie? Because we know they've been interested in him in the past. And if they want to keep competing after the season, a healthy Dinwiddie is exactly who they need. They don't have cap space, so his bird rights are valuable. You throw Shamit in there with Dinwiddie, um, all the seconds that you can at this point. Uh, I guess you could throw Nick Claxton in there, but Orlando doesn't need him, even though Nick Claxton's interesting. So I would say all the seconds, and you get an Aaron Gordon, then come talk to me. You trade for P.J. Tucker and Kevin Durant isn't healthy? Maybe. Uh, without Kevin Durant, I would just say no, because he's actually important to what they want to accomplish defensively. Like, forget They're going to be fine on offense. You take you take Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant off the nets, hey, guess what? They're still going to be a top 10 offensive team at this point. The defense really does concern me, even when they have the nights where it looks like they're getting stops. And I'll say, I will say this, we know what James Harden can do in the post. James Harden's one-on-one defense in Brooklyn has not been bad. I'm just, that's... It wasn't always bad in Houston. No, I'm talking about outside the post. James Harden's one-on-one defense has not been bad. I, I just like to, maybe I'm not watching enough nets, but that's that's where I'm at. Um, Logan sent a great response to uh, when I turned the tables on him. He had Maxi as his highest-rated shooting guard in the draft. Logan, um, I love it. I love it. I was there with you. He, hey, the Sixers feel good about that take. Although, let's be real, like Grant Riller was probably my number one. How's that working out still, for you? Still hasn't missed a shot in the NBA. <laughs> um, oh, so Jeremy says to the Harden stuff, James Harden's defense hasn't been bad for three years. It's a tired narrative. I do not – I'm not going to say I disagree with someone who's going to watch the Rockets more than me. This is that type of podcast. I cover the NBA at a national level. Someone who covers the Rockets is going to see more of James Harden. I think they went to greater lengths to stash him and – go after favorable matchups for him. I've seen less of that happen in Brooklyn. Um, there's still a lot of switching, and it feels like he's done the switching a little bit better in Brooklyn too. Maybe also the first whatever games of this season are ingrained into my brain. Uh, Logan added on the, the front of the draft, by the way, that Ant has – he's been excited to see how much more improves um, more on ball when you have D'Lo and Malik Beasley out. Uh, and he does say that he's seen flashes of, of playmaking from him. And look, he's scary when he gets going downhill. It's not it's not always going to end well, but it's going to be exciting. And if he ever gets more composed when he's doing that, and I do think the jumper will be a swing skill for him, though. Can he hit it off the dribble? Can he hit set jumpers? Uh, but we'll see. I'm not. I was higher on him than Adam was, and Adam said a lot of kind things with him earlier in the podcast. So I think that's a win on the hardened defensive re- front. I, oh, Jeremy, I do ultimately agree with you that he hasn't been bad for a few near years now and it's a tired narrative. I would just definitely be hesitant to cite, cite the steel stats just cause I I'm, I'm looking at Monte Ellis who was seven time top 10 <laughs> steals guy. Uh, but again, James Harden has been a very good post defender. And in, when Houston was switching, it made him more serviceable. So um, one also let's for not Peter- forget that rebounding is part of defense and he's really good at that. And uh, true. And the other thing I'll say, it didn't help that Tillman Fertitta went on first take or whatever it was. Like James Harden's one of the best like defenders in the NBA, and it was like, all right, we know you need to shill, but no one likes you already, and you had to say that. And I think that causes this incandescent response, and then people harp on it. Are you ready to get to a Hornets question, though, Adam? Absolutely. This one comes from Christian. Bowen, I hope I'm pronouncing that at least semi correctly. I'm a huge Hornets fan. I want Bismack, Bismack Biombo gone um, so that they can resign him again this summer. That would be my response. But do you think even after potentially- seeing him attempt to isolate on offense recently, do you think we could potentially snag Marvin Bagley from the Kings for Bismack and a first rounder? 
Uh, yes, and I would caution you against doing so. Yes, please don't. Please don't give up a first rounder in that deal. That sounds like a bad idea. I think the the goal should be, and I know he's played really well. If you want to protect the hell out of that first round pick, um, because you think that the Hornets are going to make the playoffs, and you want to say top twenty for a few years, and then it's two second rounders or top, it has to be top twenty two for me. But are you going to pay Malik Monk? this summer and it's not I think if you had to choose between Malik Monk and Devontae Graham at this point it's it's Malik Monk um and I'm a huge Devontae Graham fan so that hurts but he can't finish around the basket even when his three-point shooting is has ticked up and he he has like low-key injury concerns too anyway I digress if you don't want to pay Malik Monk because you're still kind of like yeah you have LaMelo but is this like an immediate timeline um maybe you're worried he's going to be more than mid-level exception money and once you get into that territory the books get iffy I would consider doing Malik Monk and then um, Bismack Biombo. I think maybe the Hornets have enough cap space to get it done. Uh, but I think Monk and Bismack Biombo for uh, Marvin Bagley might be more intriguing to me. I like That's that idea it. a lot more. If you're that high on Malik Monk because you want the proven commodity now, I won. I one hundred percent get it. And uh, I would if you could get time. I wouldn't. I, I'm, I'm like talking myself out of a top twenty-two protected first round pick for Marvin Bagley right now. It's hard to evaluate him, as it is with basically anyone on the Kings at this stage. Uh, Logan said in our chat, wait, the Horn Cats are running biz isos. I'm here for that. And I would say that it's more Bismack Biombo ran a biz iso than the Hornets did. (laughs) And wasn't this a while ago? I don't know that I saw it. I think there was. I feel like I saw one the other day. I have not seen in the past two Hornets games I have watched. I've not seen a Bismack Biombo ISO to my recollection. If the, that's next, any- the next evolution of the Hornets is going to be reverse pick and rolls with Bismack Biombo and LaMelo Ball. <laughs> we do have questions about LaMelo Ball, but I want to throw this to if Christian is still listening. Um, if they're going to go after a Kings big and they're going to give up a first round pick, Rashawn Holmes would be the guy for me. I know he's going to be a free agent, but imagine him running the floor with Lamelo Ball, I like. I have goosebumps just talking about it. That sounds really fun. I'm in on that one too. We do have two Lamelo Ball questions. I got DM'd this one. We have questions all over the place. I love when people. Just I'm still. DM'd. I'm still waiting for my first DM'd question. At from all zero nine on Twitter, guys, go DM him. Patrick asks, "How unsustainable or how sustainable do you think Lamelo's three point percentages? They're flying in, but the form looks a little uncomfortable." We also had this question from at, well, I'll just go with the name, um, Vaish. Why is Lonzo so bad? Uh, the, oh, is the wrong ball brother. So, excuse me. First of all, Lonzo's not bad. I'll cover that one very quickly. Lonzo Ball's been on fire. Uh, not a guy you can count on to half-court create. That is LaMelo, who's three-point shooting, by the way. I understand the concerns about the form. This is, where, this is just where I'm at on it. Since he's been inserted into the Hornets starting lineup for good, on catch-and-shoot threes, 40% on off-the-dribble threes. I don't care how the sausage is being made when it's that damn good. I don't don't care. And I'm not – you know I'm not – I can't be the super technical guy when it comes to basketball anyway, so maybe you have more thoughts on that. I'm going to push back on that one when you're done. I have one more thing to say is that they're not – a lot of them are wide open. And so that's something he's going to have to adjust to. And I think it's more – if he can finish better around the rim – that's going to like defenses aren't going to be able to eventually play him uh, uh, beyond the arc that like they're going to eventually play him when they have deeper scouting reports on him. And so that would be my concern. I do think it's sustainable where no, I don't think he's going to hit 40 plus percent of his off the dribble threes. 
I think we're looking at someone who can shoot 37% off the dribble, 40 plus percent off the catch. Yeah, I, I agree that he can get there. Um, in general, he's making 38.7% of his threes so far this season on 5.4 attempts per game, which is really impressive. Um, his, his free throw percentage seems to back up the idea that he is a good shooter as well. And I think what I would take away from that this rookie season is that the baseline for his shooting ability is better than I would have thought coming in. But I'm not going to bet on him repeating that and not going through some prolonged cold spell until his form is more replicable. Because ultimately, like, yes, it's going in. It looks pretty uncomfortable for him. It looks very uncomfortable for viewers. And, like, we've seen unorthodox shooting forms succeed in the past. Like, I'm thinking Sean Marion with his catapult release. I'm thinking Kevin Martin with his quick short arm delivery. But all of those were consistent. And the same mechanics were repeated time and again which is what matters more than anything else. So with LaMelo Ball, where he's kind of like twisting his feet in some willy-nilly fashion and it's not consistent, that's what concerns me. Like, yeah, it's still working, but when you don't know which way he's going to twist the lower half of his body or how much it's going to rotate, like that's when it gets hard to bet on it being sustainable. But I think that he's shown enough this season and has proved that he has the touch necessary to become a consistent shooter just with that offseason of work. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, we saw Alonzo Ball retool his jumper in the past, and he's shot better this year. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see something similar happen with LaMelo, where he comes back for the 2021-22 season with a revamped jumper, and it immediately works because he does have the touch. He just needs to be coached up. So you think there needs to be a change, basically? Yeah, I do. I do, but I think that like he's he's proven to me that the baseline for his shooting is high enough that he's not gonna he's not gonna risk just messing everything up by tinkering with it because like he's making it work with atrocious shooting form. Um, I'm gonna go one last question here that we already have. If anyone who remains in the room, I know a lot of people just left and once they get a question in, now would be the time because we are gonna wrap up. But And I'll cover this one actually quickly. It'll be two. Uh, do my beloved Nuggets need to make any trades? And if so, who would they target? This is from Of The Painter. Of The Painter, I'm gonna, uh, I'll just refer you to the beginning of this podcast. I suggested Will Barton, P.J. Dozier, and a second-round pick, maybe this year's first-round pick if Orlando Deland, um, demands it for Aaron Gordon. The final question we have banked that I'll get to because we have a ton more banked, actually. 2023 Hornets NBA champions <laughs> asks... Who's the most electric team in the NBA and why is it the Hornets? I now challenge you to pick a non-Hornets team. Yeah, I mean, I would go with the 2023 Charlotte Hornets. Oh, the 2023 Charlotte Hornets. Absolutely. With that retooled jumper? <laughs> uh, do you have an actual other pick? It should have been the Hawks. It's not the Hawks. It should have been. Um I think the Hornets are a great pick just because LaMelo Ball has suddenly transformed like a, a franchise that no one really wanted to watch into must-see television most nights. But, I mean, it's is it bad if I pick the Nets right now just because what they're doing on offense is so scintillating? No, I don't that, think it is. Is that a cop-out answer? Like, can I say that? Uh, no, I think you can. And I don't know if this is electric. I am endlessly fascinated by watching the Phoenix Suns. Just the poise with which Chris Paul and Devin Booker operate – 
forcing teams to play at their own pace, their their recent loss not notwithstanding. Uh, Mikael Bridges is a defensive monster. He is on my all NBA all defense team this year. It is happening. That dude is going to get paid in his extension. Jay Crowder is just a force of nature. Um, Dario Sarge has been. We mentioned this already too. Annihilating people, just annihilating people this year. Uh, they're a fun team, and I, I think they're a serious team. They're second in the West, and I do feel like people still look at it as, oh, this is quaint, this is cool. It's real, and I think they're probably going to peak as they get closer to the postseason. The one question I would have, though, is is there something to all these guys don't have playoff experience aside from CP3? Really, you know, Aiton Booker. Uh, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, who's been defending. He's like been defending better than he's shooting this year, which is just wild to me. I think it helps to have CP3, Jay Crowder. Um, Sarge has probably been to the playoffs for a minute. I don't know if he made the playoffs, and he definitely didn't make them in Minnesota. We can we can know that. He's but, played in them before, I want to say. So, But he's not like rich with experience there. That's where you're going to lean on Crowder. That's where Tucker might help you if you trade for a Tucker. So um that's the team the nets i think are the ones that i'm gravitated towards and they're not even at full strength yet though and it's probably too popular of a pick um and phoenix might be too popular at this point because they're second in the west but i still i still feel like they're being slept on somehow i feel like utah is a fun pick too just because that mike conley and donovan mitchell offensive combination has been so electric to watch and i i really enjoy watching gobert play defense like it's a different kind of exciting but just watching a true master at the craft we have our final question from Logan. Going back to trade ideas, if you had to bet on a top 50 player being traded at the deadline, who would it be? And what does that trade look like? Wow. But, um, so I think um, we just, we're going to assume that Victor Oladipo is no longer considered a top 50 player. I don't, I don't know that I good. have any that really come to mind. Like Oladipo's outside that, Aaron Gordon's outside that, Bradley Beal and Zach Levine aren't going to get moved. Kyle Lowry? He would be the most likely one. I just don't see a viable trade partner aside from Philly. Philly, yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense. I so I, and that I, trade, I think I, if I had to bet on it, that's probably my pick. Is is betting on Lowry going to Philly for draft picks and and matching cap and Toronto selling really low? Yeah, and I, I think yeah, it's, it's Maxi a pick, Danny Green, and then other salary to make it work. Um, the, oh, so I'll throw this out there though, just to get off the beaten path on a name to, well, to Lonzo ball, because he's going to be in restricted free agency. Lonzo ball isn't a top 50 player. Is he, he's been close. Over, over no, no, I, I, I strongly disagree with that. I'd, I'd have him more in that like 90 to hundred range still. Has Rashawn Holmes been a top 50 player this year? Closer. DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. But he's, is he going to get moved? I don't think he will. I'm just the best, the top 50 player with the best chance of getting moved. You think outside the box here, Adam. Logan says John Collins, which is another interesting answer. I don't, I don't know that he's been in that top 50 this year based on track record, probably. Um, I'm still not convinced Atlanta actually trades him, especially because it's, it's 4-0 since Nate McMillan took over. I will say he's not top 50, but a fascinating name that I would at least look at if I'm this team based off talking with people who cover the Suns. If they don't seem to have as much faith in DeAndre Ayton as it seems, now's the time to move him. It's, I know his value isn't super high, but he still kind of has like the sheen of the number one pick who mm. people think is really good on defense because I, I do think he can be better. If you had to pick the biggest name, though, the biggest name, let's throw the top 50 out. Who has the best chance of being traded? I think it's still Lowry. Yeah, that's, I, I think I'm with you. And I hate saying that just because it's, it's frustrating I, anytime the best player in franchise history gets traded. And Which is what he is. 
What's, yeah, he is. But what's tough with John Collins, and I'm throwing Lonzo in there because he's been really good, is how do you value having someone's bird rights and restricted free agency? Because right. what you're doing is paying for the right to pay them. And that's weird. I still just I still push back on the idea that John Collins is going to get moved just because Atlanta knows that it bet on this core to some extent, at least it it has performed better since McMillan took over. The talent is there. They're in a playoff position right now. They got healthier. Shocker. Right. Right. (laughs) So I I think that there's still enough realistic faith in what was done over the offseason to avoid having to make that decision now. Adam, how about you do the close since I hijacked your opening without oh, even realizing what was happening? It's still all yours. I just I enjoy sitting back and listening to uh, who the shout out is going to be for. Um, thank you for everyone who joined us and for the people, Jeremy and Logan. I think you were with us the entire hour plus here. This was fun. We'll probably do another one of these exact types of, of trade idea things before the deadline next week. Um, please, please, if you have not already, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knocks wherever you're getting your podcasts. Until next time, we leave you with the shout out to the one. The only, he is a top 50 player in this season, Lonzo Ball. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, super pleased this time, as I am always, to be joined by Salman Ali. He covers the Houston Rockets for ESPN 97.5, and he is also the host of the Red Nation Hoops podcast. Follow him on Twitter at S-A-L-M-A-N-A-L-I-N. BA. As you can tell, we're probably going to talk some Rockets right now because I don't know if anyone's been paying attention, but they've been super boring this season and we haven't talked about them at all. And I figured it was just long overdue to have Solomon back on for clearly the first time in at least, you know, two years, I guess, at this point to talk about Houston. So how are you doing today, Solomon? I'm doing all right. I think I still cover an NBA team. I don't know. Like, has the NBA considered relegation? Has the NBA <laughs> like really put some thought behind that? Because it, it'd be a nice time to just, just look around the league. I feel like there are some candidates for that right now. There, I would be curious to know how many podcasts you and I specifically have recorded about the Rockets since, like, you know, let's say since it closed, like everything shut down, like March, or let's say since the end of last season. I think I might set the over under at seven right now because of everything that was just going on. This team never fails. Um, in the Tillman Fertitta era specifically, it feels like it never fails to break news, and it always feels like it might be the wrong kind of news. You think it's, you know, maybe they'll start selling on their own terms, then P.J. Tucker leaves the team. So what has it been like? Like, what is just the you? Like, what has it been like covering this team where everything feels just so transient? Well, for me, it's like, yeah, the, you expected this to be a little bumpy, but it, it feels like every possi- possible, you know, area where it could be bumpy it was like the maximum level of bumpy like we go in we go into training camp obviously it's gonna be a little awkward between james and and the rockets right but for james to just not show up at training camp and then to find out oh not only is he not at training camp he's actually in atlanta in las vegas in in and just partying without a mask and it's like it'd be every and this pj tucker thing this did not have to be this messy like this could have been just PJ Tucker plays out um, his contract until the trade deadline. The Rockets find a new home for him. Bam, we're done. That, that's it. It, it. it could be just that easy. But every single step of the way, it's been maximum levels of messiness. Yeah, and it's look I, before we even get into the trade stuff, which I'm sure is what on a national level, I'm sure fans really want to hear. Do you look at this team and see anyone 
that you, and I, I think there are two obvious answers, but is there anyone that intrigues you long-term for this team that you look at and say, there's a reason to watch this player on the Rockets right now because he will still be or should still be on the Rockets next season or even beyond next season? Because that's what this team lacks, and you and I were talking about it before the podcast, is if I think even Rockets fans, you said, might not want to tune in for every game or at least pay that much attention because how attached are you going to get to these players or how much are you going to take away from a team that feels like it's just going to overhaul itself in a couple of weeks? Right. And I think the diehard fans are still watching every game. But I, but as you said, there's really only two players to really watch right now. And that's obviously Christian Wood. And he's injured. So you can't really watch that. They can't and win can't... without Christian Wood, though. That's a fact that's been proven. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the Christian Wood is definitely the only problem on this team. Um, it is, um, and Kevin Porter Jr., who just came up from the G League, which just shows how dire it is. Like that, fans have got themselves so excited to see Kevin Porter Jr. Not to say that he hasn't been impressive in the G League and his NBA debut. Obviously, he's he's uh, he's definitely turned some heads. But like, we're talking about a twenty-year-old and a twenty-five-year-old who you know, aren't cornerstone pieces on a championship team right now, or ha- at least haven't shown themselves to be that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty ugly. And I think, I think right now as, as someone covering the team, I have shifted my, my attention to covering the big, the broad strokes, right? The trade deadline, free agency, draft lottery. I think that's where your average Rockets fan is paying attention. Um, just recently we did a trade deadline podcast for Nation Hoops, and that's probably going to get like a bunch of downloads. And that's, that's because um, Rockets fans are really tuned into the transactional game right now. And I think that's probably the right move. If, if, if I were a fan, I'd, I'd pay attention to that stuff too, because um, the on-court product is uh, not, not pretty. Yeah, it's amazing how you slap trades on anything, and it feels like it does numbers. And this season, I, I love the transactional game. I do think it's, you know, there's a lot of media um, that, or, you know, writers, bloggers, that, and I among them, that complains that there's, like, focus taken away. It's too much on the transaction game, and there's all this surface-level analysis on TV, uh, which I all completely agree with. But even in a season like this, where I feel like there's the Rockets are the only... There's let's say there's there's sub three teams right now that you look at and say, OK, you know what? They're going to really overturn the roster by the trade deadlines like the transactional game post James Harden really shouldn't be taking uh, center stage to that extent. And yet you put trades on anything still when there's nothing going on. And even someone like myself who loves trades, it's tough to talk about them, to write about them this year, because there's so few scenarios going on where it's, hey, let's look at what moves contenders could make. And then I find that I'm just like coming up with all these hypothetical um, Rockets players trades because like that's just how stagnant it feels like the trade market might be and maybe more stuff will materialize as we get closer teams can make different decisions trades always catch us off guard as well but it's it's still amazing that the transaction game hits so hard as it does yeah and as, as you're painting that picture about the, that fan who hates talking about the transactions and 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 hates the surface level analysis on TV I just found myself relating so much cuz that is me like especially covering a contender I feel like so many people pay attention to these you know these marginal moves at the deadline where you know sometimes they matter but most of the time they're you know they're just marginal moves they they help you one maybe 2% on the margins and they you know they, you can get better at the trade deadline that's not it's not don't get me wrong you that's definitely possible we've seen general managers uh really overhaul their teams at the deadline mm-hmm. um daryl morey is an example of that right former rockets gm um but 
I I feel like for teams like this, right, like teams that aren't in the contendership conversation are far from it. This is where it gets interesting because every transaction they make is actually magnified because all the assets that they get back are super important to, towards their cause in rebuilding. Whereas every transaction a contender makes, you know, those assets that they're giving away really aren't much, aren't worth much to them. They don't care. And I think that that's why I think there's going to be a lot of focus on this stuff. And I think, you know, I I think it's justified. Like I I I would not blame like I would not blame anyone for tuning into only the transactions. Yeah. Look, even if it's a contender, I'm still. I'm going to get lost in the whirlwind, like the week leading up to it. But this season specifically where it's like there's – and the Rockets are different because there's been something happening every day. But it's even, you know, when we do mailbags on this podcast and we get so many questions and we do one in, you know, this season, let's say we did one in the post-James Harden trade or something, and there's not really a lot of rumors in the ether, we still get so many questions about trades. It's just amazing how fascinated people are. And I don't know if that's, you know, I wouldn't say it's – I don't know if I could say it's damaging to the game. Maybe there's too much of a focus on it, but for the Rockets specifically, uh, you have to focus on it. Like that's just been, even before the James Harden trade, even before the Russell Westbrook trade, just when you sort of sense the undercurrent of this team might be coming apart at the seams, that's been the sole focus. And so let's, let's dive into it and let's throw it here. Are they going to find a trade for PJ Tucker or is this a, teams try and push them to the edge and is, is this a is this a potential buyout situation oh i i think i think a pj tucker trade was going to happen as far back as like two months ago i mean as soon as james harden was dealt pj tucker was going to follow suit it was just a matter of when not if um and I, I, I think there are going to be teams that are interested in trading for him. I don't think it's going to result in a buyout. I think his market value is probably less than what the Rockets are asking for. But uh, it, they, they could. What we're really looking at is if you're a content, if you're a contender trading for PJ Tucker, you are probably bargain hunting, right? You are not mm-hmm. trading for the premium assets on the market, but you can find someone here in PJ Tucker where you can snag for like two second round picks, which really isn't much considering you can buy into second round picks every year right so i think that's kind of the the price you're looking at for pj tucker perhaps an expiring contract who knows um well what's really interesting is the stuff that they could do alongside pj tucker right like if if the rockets really wanted to shake stuff up uh, they could combine pj tucker's contract with other contracts on the roster perhaps um you know Eric Gordon was a candidate before he got hurt, right? right. Eric, Eric Gordon, if you if you combine PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon, you know you could get back a serious player, right? Uh, for your for your long term rebuilding plan, I don't think they can do that anymore. But that was where I was really starting to pay attention to. Now I think you're probably going to get more of a conventional trade deadline. You're probably going to get your two second round picks back for pj tucker or maybe one in a protected second who knows yeah the their ask of a young and there's been reports of asks all over the place first it was they wanted three seconds um or a young player i saw something that said they just want someone who could play for them now but it seems like the the common denominator has been they want a young player and i just don't see them getting at least not a good young player for pj tucker at age 35 and given the way he's played he's not helped his trade value with, you know, the defense just doesn't feel the same. And then the shooting on wide open threes this year has been uh, pretty abysmal for him by his standards. It's funny. One aspect, you know, everything's changed with for the Rockets, but one aspect that hasn't changed is the, sorry, excuse me, is the, the posturing. 
that hasn't changed. <laughs> right. Like, like everything, the front office has changed, the coaching staff has changed, the players have changed, but the posturing still exists. And it's funny, it's existed all, all season. Going back to the James Harden trade, they're asking for a blue-chip prospect. They never got it back. They're asking for a, a treasure trove of picks. They did get that back, but the, they, they consistently continue to posture in the media. And I, I think they, they understand that they're, they're not they're probably not going to get what they're asking for in the media, but I think this is just part of the game. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if they do other stuff around the margins because I think P.J. Tucker mentally, I've already just just shipped him out of Houston. I think he's probably already going to, like, like, there are probably already three or four teams. I mean, it's already been reported. Um, you know, there are already teams that are, are in serious conversations for Tucker. But I think the, the players on the margins, you know, your Sterling Browns, your David Nawabas, I think it's going to be interesting to see if those kinds of players are also, you know, dealt at the deadline. And what uh, the, it's going to be a fire sale, fire sale, but it's really how broad is the fire sale going to get? How how much of how much of their current roster is going to turn over? I think that's what's going to be interesting about this trade deadline. I'm wondering too if because the teams that have been predominantly interested in Tucker, you look at them and it's some of them, most of them, it's really tough to find like salary matching. So you're most, in most cases looking at, okay, you're going to have to take two contracts back, uh, which when they're expiring is fine, but it creates a bit of a roster crunch, but then that could necessitate other moves on the margins. And I think, you know, um, Sterling Brown was a name that, that interests me. Just someone who's shot fairly well from three and been defending all different sorts of, you know, players this year. And, you know, a team like I identified as like the Clippers, like if you can get him for a second round pick, and you're going to have to send out commensurate salary at that point. Uh, I think they have super small deals. Like that feels like one of, the, as you already mentioned, one of the under radar names that could actually help a contender where it's, I'm not sure Nawaba would be in everyone's rotation because of the shooting. How much can he stay on the floor? But if Brown's going to shoot like he has for most of the season from deep, uh, he feels like someone that could actually nudge the needle in the right direction for, for a good team that maybe has finite spots already in its rotation. Yeah, and considering that you got him for free, basically, in free agency, right? You only paid for his contract. Um, that's a good deal of business for Houston, just to, to get an asset back for a minimum salary player. And and the, that's a consistent trend with their entire roster. They, they were gearing up before the season for a title chase, right? And a lot of these players, because of that, are on bargain basement deals, right? Daniel House is another example of that. Great contract, getting paid dirt cheap, not having the best season. Right. And, the, and but I could easily see a team deciding, you know, we think we, there's more here. We've seen Daniel House be a playoff player before. So, you know, I could see players like that getting dealt as well. Right. Like because just there's if you're a team, if you're a contender that's going bargain basement shopping. Right. Like the Rockets are in are for sale right now. I mean, you look at their roster. So many of these players are making almost nothing, right? Mm -hmm. you, the, there's the only bad contract on the books right now is probably John wall. Everyone else is making a reasonable sum of money. Um, even Victor Oladipo expiring contract, right? So it, it's, it's one of those things where like you can, if you're Houston has gotten calls on pretty much every single one of these players. And it's a matter of how broad do they want to make this sale? I think, I think there are going to be players on this team, uh, that are moved that, you know, Rockets fans weren't expecting to get moved. And uh, it's just, it's one of those things where it's, this is truly a tear down. And I, I think it's going to get, I think it's going to be really interesting, but we'll see. So what, what excuse me, let's try, I'm coughing now too. It's apparently um, infectious and we're recording over a computer. So how's that happening? But <laughs> yeah. uh, 
so let's try and go through some of these names, and I'm going to ask you whether you think they're going to um, still be with the Rockets, whether they'll get dealt or won't get dealt past the trade deadline, and maybe we can get into what ass would be there. So P.J. Tucker, we've already covered. We both agree that he's just gone, right? Yeah. Um, Sterling Brown. Um, I'll say I'll say no right now. I I, I think <laughs> I, I think there's a possibility, but I, I I'll say I'll say for right now, I think they keep him. And so you don't think a second round pick then would be enough to just get that done? Like if a contender comes in with a second round pick in the future? Well, I I don't know how many teams are going to come in like that. We'll we'll see. I I it would it would I would it would not surprise me if he gets dealt. I I just got, I get the feeling that he's not going to command a second round pick. And if he does, I think it'd probably be protected. Yeah, the idea like I was thinking like a team like the Clippers with, you know, they could come in with Fiondu Cabangeli where the salaries basically line up and then a 2023 second round pick, which comes via Portland. Is that yeah, a deal that you do? That's the, that's the type of team that you profile. That'd be perfect. Right. Cause they are out a lot of second, a lot of first round picks and they could definitely go bargain basement shopping. Uh, another team, the Brooklyn Nets, I think are going to be, I think there's going to be a deal here. Uh, specifically, I think PJ Tucker is an, is a great target for them. Uh, because again, you're out of first round picks mm-hmm. until 2028, I think, and I think PJ Tucker can be get got for second round picks, as we said, and he, they they need defense, they need rotational players that can play at the end of big games, and I think PJ Tucker is definitely, you know, a perfect fit for them, and uh, he's played alongside James Harden before. There's a connection there. Uh, I think you know Mike D'Antoni, obviously assistant coach in Brooklyn, uh, played played coming coach PJ Tucker, obviously a connection there. So it'd be it'd, it'd be a natural fit there. I think PJ Tucker in Brooklyn is something I'd watch for. The thing with that is, so he makes what is it seven and change this season? He's at seven nine around just about eight. Yeah, he's at eight million. They like you have to take Spencer Dinwiddie back in that yeah. deal, which I guess Houston wouldn't care about. But I'm wondering if if I'm Brooklyn, I might prefer to have the bird rights on Spencer Dinwiddie just because he's younger and, and what he does. Obviously, he's excessive there. I'd be wondering, is that a situation where you can because Spencer Dinwiddie also makes more money? Like, is that a P.J. Tucker and like Daniel House situation that they could um, justify doing? Wouldn't surprise me, and, and if that's the case, I think you probably get you know maybe a third, a third, second round pick out of it. Uh, and I, th- here's the thing with Daniel House: the, the the reason I am skeptical that they will get get a deal done for Daniel House is because his his value is just at rock bottom right now. I don't think this is the type of front office that likes selling mm-hmm. uh, when when their when their players are at rock bottom price value. We'll see. Uh, I, but combining contracts like that could be a clever way to kind of for Brooklyn to retain the bird rights of Dimwitty and also get that deal done for Tucker and get two players that can actually help you for a, a, a long playoff run. I think I think both those guys would be rotation players for Brooklyn. Yeah, I think. Look, um, if they, it really depends on what Houston would think of Dinwiddie because you need his bird rights to be an asset or a third team. Like the team I've always come back to is just Orlando because we know we've been interested in them in the past. They won't have cap space and they always seem like they want to live in the middle. But, you know, the Nets do have Atlanta's second round pick this year, which doesn't isn't necessarily going to be terrible. They have a, a reverse protected Indiana pick in the second round this year, which is, you know, it conveys if it's in the top 15 of the second round as opposed to um, the bottom 15 where it wouldn't. They have. And then they have a um, Golden State's 2025 second round pick, which if you want to short Golden State's future at this point and you're a different team, like that's totally fine. They even have um, they have a Phoenix second round pick this year, but that's not going to convey. So something like 
you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, the Atlanta second rounder and the Golden State second rounder for PJ Tucker and Daniel House. That seems like it might be a justifiable deal for both sides. Yeah, it, it, that, that sounds like a logical deal. Um, which is wild to say about Spencer Dinwiddie, by the way, just because it's like the trading him with an injury is just so difficult, but he has a player option anyway. And so he could just leave for nothing is how you have to view it. But he was a fringe all-star. And then all of a sudden you're trading him for Daniel House and PJ Tucker. This is just like a, a whirlwind of a year. I guess, look, Daniel House would be the next logical place to start. Then you said you're skeptical. They, they get a deal done because, you know, specifically he just hasn't shot the ball that well this year. Right. But we've yeah. seen like they, they've toyed in the past. Like he's even guarded some fives for them. So like he has real defensive portability for you and with that second year left on his deal if i'm a contender like i'm trying to to get him just as a, a bigger wing defender and then you bank on hopefully the jump shot just ends up panning out because we've seen him hit you know higher clips for for longer stretches before and so but your guess would be that he's still in houston my guess is especially because there's years remaining on that contract you know you can trade him next year if you really want to and i think you can probably get better value back my guess is is that he probably remains but if they combine contracts with pj tucker like that it would not surprise me if he does get shipped out but I, i'm i'm probably more i'm more likely to believe that he gets shipped out than sterling brown i'll say that that's interesting. I'd be so curious to see what he just goes for on his own because he's cheap, but he has that second year. And so it's like, do you maybe get, you know, one of the prospects that was drafted at the end of the last round of the 2020 draft and then a second with that? Like, because that's probably a good, like a good enough haul, I would think, where it's, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of who was drafted at the end. You know, the Jazz could come in with, um, you know, Aduka Azubuki and then a second round pick. And it's like, okay, well, we still have the cachet of Azubuki was drafted number 27 overall. And, you know, the Jazz do need, uh, or the Jazz, excuse me, the Rockets do have room on their front line, especially if they end up trading PJ Tucker eventually. So I would just be curious on his own what he would net, because I do agree that if you combined him with PJ Tucker, like that's how maybe you up the return a little bit. But on his own, I would be fascinated to see what he commands. Yeah, and if I could make a quick addendum, I changed my mind. I, th- I think Sterling Brown's going to get traded. I, I I think I think because you're not going to get a, an opportunity back to, to, to trade him, like you you will get another opportunity to trade Daniel House. I think Sterling Brown. It just makes a lot of sense for a team to just you know as you said, like the Clippers would be a, a nice spot, right? And I think I think Sterling Brown gets traded. Yeah. That would be my prediction for him as well. I don't think Daniel House is going to get traded. I think he should. But because I think just having a season, let's go a season and a half, a season and a quarter of Daniel House, like there's a little bit extra value I think that you could glean. Whereas if you move him over the off season or in the middle of next season, like you're probably getting a not so sexy second round pick, and that's it. Right. Um. Um. Where? Oh, Ben Macklemore. Sorry, I was trying to scroll with my fingers. What What ends up happening with him? You think he's still with Houston or no? No, I, I think he gets traded too. I mean, again, like a lot of these guys are vet guys who would probably help a playoff contender and you can get them for fairly cheap. I, I don't think Ben McLemore is going to demand a first round pick by any means. No. And and um, if you're a Houston, like you just want as many bites at the apple as you can, even if they're second round picks, you know, second round picks are, are cheap contracts down the road for, you know, fairly good players that we've seen. Like Brooklyn has done a really good job at you know taking you know taking advantage of second round picks in the draft and i think houston you know you have a very limited young player pool 
uh, right now it's pretty much Kevin Porter Jr. and like Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate. Like that's it. Uh, you need to refill these coffers. So I think mm. second round picks could be valuable for them. I just don't know who's going to give up the, anything for Ben McElmore at this point. He's shooting over his past 20 games, he's shooting 23.5% from three. And so it could be a bad second, I guess. Um, I'm just trying to figure out the team that would – because he's shooting in theory, I guess. But if you're worried about how his season has unfolded, uh, I don't know what you necessarily give up for him. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, like, you're banking on what you saw from him last season, right? Where he be, he fit in that Gerald Green role for Houston like a glove, right? He was just a, a, mm-hmm. a, a spot-up shooter for Houston off the bench. They weren't depending on him for defense. He probably He's probably not going to play much in the playoffs if you're trading for him. You're probably trading for him for a regular season stretch run. Um, you know, you could see a lot of these 8C teams or, like, a team trying to make a play-in tournament try trading for Ben McLemore because usually those teams aren't really – you know, eyeing defense as a priority, right? So, so th- that could be a nice, a nice landing spot for him. A team that's just on the edges of the playoffs or right, you know, right there. Um, because again, like it, it, he can contribute. I think he can just be a nice spot up shooter that can play 15 to 20 minutes a game for you and knock down like three, three pointers. Uh, Eric Gordon, so he's injured, and I think we both. I actually wrote about how I thought he would be an interesting trade candidate. There's people probably overanalyze his three-point clip this year, but he also takes them from a, a distance far enough where that's just going to help. And then his he's been absurd inside the arc this year, 60.2% on drives. So do you think there's still a chance that a team might take a, a gamble on him knowing that, well, he's supposed to come back in, in four to six weeks, or is that completely out of the question? Or let's say, you know, if you can just get off of his money right now, is that something that Houston's even willing to do? Because I doubt particularly why he's while he's injured that there's going to be a team that's going to also give you value for for Gordon because that was probably an iffy proposition to begin with I actually don't think his contract is that bad because if you look at the incentives on the deal it's like okay so he has to make an all-star team or or you have to win the championship if, if for that last year to get uh, guaranteed and that's not like if any of those things happen you're really happy with the contract at that point right you're you're, you're more than happy paying it and really you're looking at like after this season two more seasons for eric gordon so and if you look at the value it's it's really not that bad i i think i think if they traded him this year they actually might have gotten pretty decent value for him but i don't think i think the injury complicates it i think as of this moment i don't think he's going to be traded anymore i I, if you asked me this question literally a week ago i think he would have gotten traded i I, because he would have been the surprise player i i think i don't think a lot of people would have expected eric gordon to be on the market but i think he definitely uh is off the market now because i don't think houston wants to capitalize on this like trading him at his lowest moment yeah, I will say even when he was playing well, two years and thirty-seven point eight million for him um, in the two years coming, and obviously we can throw out the basically the the third year just because, as you said, those incentives. It still felt steep for him. Just looking at his injury history, um, how his three-point percentage has dipped over the past few years, and then, but mostly the injury stuff for me. But he's just a guy you can play in crunch time moments and you feel comfortable on both ends of the floor, right? Like he is not, he is going to be a positive defender for you in playoff games. Like we've seen that from Eric Gordon, excuse me. Um, And he will help you um, spacing the floor. Even if he's not shooting the ball at a high clip, teams still defend him out there, which is crazy, but they do. Um, And I think, I think that's the kind of player where like, you don't mind having him for the next two or three seasons. I think he would help a lot of teams uh, deepen their guard rotation. The problem is, again, the injury, and I don't think a lot of teams. Um, 
I think at this moment, a team would rather trade for Lodipo than him. The other problem is, too, when you're looking at the actual contenders, there's just so few of them have, like, the mid-end to, like, in an Eric Gordon trade, there's very few contenders that can do it with one or two contracts. It would be all these three-for-one scenarios, and those are really tricky to pull off in the middle of the year. And then, obviously, it can be, you know, one-for-one or two-for-one if they're a contender is going to give up a key player where, you know, like let's use the Lakers as an example. Like if they wanted to use Dennis Schroeder's expiring salary as the anchor in that deal. And part of the return is, Oh, Houston is like the books are just getting cleared after this season. Or maybe they like Dennis Schroeder, who knows, whatever um, there's other stuff attached, but then it's like, well, Dennis Schroeder is actually really important to what they're doing right now. And so as you go down that list, it just gets really hard to find teams that can cobble something together. Um, especially when so many of them are hard capped this year and just working with finite resources to find a deal that's workable mid season where it feels like a lot of these destinations might make more sense over the off season when everyone has more roster flexibility. I think an off season Eric Gordon trade definitely makes more sense. But uh, again, like I think, I think he is a long-term hold kind of player. Like he will help you for the years, years to come. Right. I don't think he's one of those players where like you trade him for the stretch run and that's it. He can help you for the next coming years. I think he's, he's a good enough player where like, I don't think the numbers are that bad. I mean, um, you know, you, you may have a different opinion on this. I, I actually think um, it's not a matter of, if Eric Gordon gets traded, it's a matter of when he's probably not going to get traded at this deadline, but I think, you know, the coming off season or the, or the following deadline, I, I would definitely keep my, keep my eyes out for Eric Gordon trades. I would have probably have still said no before his injury, but now I'm just like a, I would be shocked if he was moved because of his injury. Just, I don't even know, you know, four to six weeks. What does that turn into? Um, and then it's like the phrasing was moderate groin strain, which was just weird. And so, yeah, you're, you're acquiring him for long term. But if you're a contender, you do have to worry about now. So I definitely agree that if anything happens, it'll probably be over the offseason. Uh, the name that I think gets bandied about the most on this team is Victor Oladipo. And I think they would be uh, out of the, they would be foolish not to move him by the trade deadline. So here's my question for you. What is Victor Oladipo's value right now? Um, I'm sorry, I, I this is this is my podcast, and that was my question for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I actually don't think he has much of a market because he shot the ball so poorly. And, and, and ever since he got hurt, like, have you seen a, a really impressive stretch of Victor Oladipo games? Like, maybe you could say at the beginning of this season. That's what I was, Indiana, yeah. right? like, like, But, like, ever since, like, he has not had a long, consistent stretch of like really impressive games to where you feel comfortable trading for him and not only comfortable trading for him, comfortable that he will fit into a new role because mm-hmm. he's definitely not going to shoot 20 shots a game on his new team if he gets traded. And I don't, if I'm Houston, like, first of all, it's really hard to construct deals for $20 million players, right? And second of all, you're probably going to have to take back uh, deals that extend beyond this season because you're probably trading for a bad contract, right? Uh, that, that, it's, uh, at this moment, because of his value, if you're trading Victor Oladipo, you're probably going to get, you're probably going to have to pay for the following seasons, uh, in addition to maybe a draft pick. And if if I'm Houston, I the, the the calculation I do is like, would I rather have that space, or would I rather have the, um, that draft pick? I would rather have that space. Honestly, they haven't had space in a long time to play with. Uh, you know, a twenty million dollars is not is nothing to sneeze at. I mean. Look at what they did with the Christian Wood, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they, they can get really creative with that kind of space. And for a rebuilding team, like you don't want cumbersome contracts 
boxing down your books. You just don't. I, I, I think this is closer to a toss-up at the deadline than most people say. Most people think. The other thing, and this doesn't, I don't, it could matter to them though, if they're like, maybe they consider resigning him anyway, if he's just coming back for the best dollar available. Do they view it at all as, well, we could have had Karis Levert and our 2023 second round pick, I think it was. And mm-hmm. now we're going to end up with nothing. We're just going to end up with cap space instead. And I think you can objectively say that Karis Levert is a, even, you know, we haven't seen him play since they found the mass on his tumor, and I think he's coming back. We're recording this on a Saturday. It won't go live until a Monday, so he's coming back, I think, the night that we're recording this. But Karis LeVert taking him on seems like it would have been the better decision right now. But I think this is kind of why I think that there's a possibility that they just let his contract expire. Because why? otherwise, why would they not just take on LeVert? Like, where, when you look at that trade in the moment— like what what was your initial reasoning as to why they didn't just take back Levert? Because like I thought like Levert was probably like as good or possibly even a better player than Odebo, even at that moment. So the the only reason I could con- I could concoct was like, okay, so they they see that as a malleable contract, right? They can they think that they can get um space back in free agency or that they can get him back to a, a reasonable deal and i don't think they're going to get him back for a reasonable deal it seems like oladipo wants a lot of money and he's probably going to get that because you know t- there's a lot of space out there and you, you just never know with free agency like look at what gord hayward got paid this summer right like i i, I never I, I i've given up on predicting contracts like this and if i'm houston like I, I think that's probably why they didn't do it. I, th- I think they probably did did this trade for the space. My gut reaction was that they thought, because I do think a peak Victor Oladipo has a higher apex than Karis LeVert. Sure. I thought that maybe they were bargaining that they could get more than Karis LeVert and a second for Victor Oladipo at the trade deadline, which, if that was the thinking, imploded. That, that, that blew up in their faces. Well, as you mentioned... Uh, you know, we've done like seven podcasts this season, th- this year, right? Like, and and a lot of these podcasts have been speculating what the Rockets were going to get back for James Harden, right? And I believe we talked a lot about Brooklyn as, as a possible landing space. And what I kept saying throughout those podcasts is that deal was never going to be about the players that come back in the deal. Rockets fans that were panicking about the players coming back on that deal really need to focus on the draft picks because that is where the that that is the only incentive for Houston to get a deal done in Brooklyn, right? They thought they can get a king's ransom from Brooklyn back on a deal, and they did. And I think that's that's pro- when you when you analyze the James Harden trade, you really have to pay attention to the picks because it's it's never it was never going to be about the players. Even if you got Levert back, like Levert was going to be at the most an extra pick down the line, right? I mm-hmm. think I, I I don't think he was going to be a part of their long term future, and I think it's probably more reasonable to view this as like okay, they wanted to clear space and they wanted draft picks. Yeah, it's tough. I could understand a fan's perspective because you would like to see your team have something tangible in return, and the the best value that's going to come from this Brooklyn trade is so far off too. It's going to be on those later picks and swaps, and so now you don't. If you let Victor Oladipo walk walk for nothing, you just don't have anything. You know, they didn't even take on Jared Allen. Like that was they just opted basically like we're not going to take any players if they. Get old, and I'm not saying that that was necessarily the wrong approach. We have to wait and see this bear out for the next, you know, six, seven years, and even longer than that. When you're looking at those picks turning into actual players and seeing how those players' careers pan out, still, I can understand why that's tough to grapple. I'm just curious if you know. So, are you at the point where, like, if teams just threw 
expiring contracts still where you're still going to get that money and they're attached to seconds or um the one that i i've thought about and i've been like scared to say it because i don't want to get destroyed is like what if the lakers just decided to piece like step ladder it with expiring contracts and gave you talon horton tucker who's also an expiring contract himself like is that a deal that you just do at this point um, if Houston really wants that space, yeah, I guess. I mean, like, I, 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 I really do think that if they get a deal done, I think, the, I think the reason they traded for Lodipo was they wanted the flexibility of, of having that cap space. So I think if they were to get a trade done with Oladipo, I think they probably want expirings back. That's my best guess, right? Like, I could be wrong on this. I could, they could trade back, uh, for a really bad, awful contract and a first round pick. Who knows, right? But I, my my suspicion is that they want expirings back. So if they can get an asset back along with expirings, yeah, maybe. My question is like, do the Lakers really value Oladipo's bird rights like that? Because you are you are essentially, in addition to trading for him to help you in the stretch run, you are also trading for his bird rights and the right to resign him. I'm not sure a team like the Lakers wants to pay Oladipo what he's going to get this summer I mean when you watch the minutes they play without LeBron James you could probably pretty easily talk yourself into Victor Oladipo (laughs) (laughs) perhaps yeah I mean maybe I I, I guess I guess the logic in that is like we view him as a long-term core piece that along with just being someone who can help us in the stretch run and maybe maybe teams view him like that I I as of this moment, because of how poorly he's played, I'd be hesitant to view him like that. I because I just don't. I'm not sure how he can fit into a different role when he's so used to taking this many shots. Like he is literally tanking possessions for Houston. Like <laughs> it, it, it is. It is insane. Like, he was he, doing that for the Pacers in the bubble too. It felt like. Yeah, it, it is. He's just chucking, and and you know, credit to him. Like I, I, there is a part of me that just that finds this hilarious, right? Like he's just taking every opportunity he can to show that he's worth whatever contract he's going to get this summer. And the poor guy just can't hit a shot. Just can He just cannot, he cannot, especially his three pointers, which he's always been pretty good at those. And he just can't hit them this season. It's very strange. And, um, I, if I were a team, I'd be very, you know, alarmed by that. But again, like I, I still think it's a, it's a coin flip. Like if you, if you were asked me, like, do I think Oladipo gets traded? I don't know. I, I, I probably would would assume that because because they traded for him instead of Karis Levert that he probably doesn't, and I have a hard time finding his market. But at the same time, I could easily see a team selling themselves on a depot. My my question is, what team is that going to be? Because like I was actually looking at a team like Boston, and the question what I kept running into is like, what minutes is he going to take away from? Right. Like, cause when Marcus smart comes back, like where is he going to play in the rotation there? Um, you know, Miami is another logical option, but like, again, you're playing at that point. If you're Miami, you're playing really small, right? Your, your, your lineup is going to be like what uh, Jimmy Butler at power forward. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like it's, it, it's, um, it's tough. It's tough to to find a, a logical landing spot for him. So I would probably say, gun to my head, I don't think a Victor Oladipo deal gets done. But um, and you don't think he's back with Houston next season? Yeah. That's just. I guess it's. That's. I guess if you don't want to have the money on your books, then that's the smart scenario for them. I would just see then. Is there like will teams give us expiring con- with something, anything, a second round pick? just to let him walk after what you gave up essentially to get him, or at least what you could have had in Levert. It's just, 
mind melting to me. Again, like this is not me. This is not saying this is what I would do, right? This is just me trying to find their logic from taking back Oladipo for, uh, over Levert uh, and tracing it back to the present day, right? Like this is just me, you know, putting the puzzle pieces together and, and assuming that's what they're thinking. I, I, I don't know if I would I would do that. I might be someone who just take back bad years on a contract and try to get a first round pick, but. If they really like that space enough to where they took Lavert over him, it it follows logically that they might continue that thinking into March twenty fifth. If that was their thinking, I, there's got to be like a the Mavericks have to be willing to do James Johnson and then like Josh Green or Tyrell Terry for him, and those are both cheap players who are will be intriguing to monitor the next couple of years. And you haven't you know added anything to your long term payroll, but you've at least gotten someone for the um you know for housing Oladipo for for leasing letting letting him lease space like on your <laughs> caption I, I don't I don't even know how to phrase that I can't I don't necessarily disagree with you that that's what they're gonna do I just can't talk myself into that being a good piece of business for the team and the the thing here is Oladipo is going to be an unrestricted free agent so he could Houston could want to keep him he already turned down an extension but that was kind of fait accompli from the beginning he could go wherever he wants. And so I don't know what a team is going to, maybe they really like Oladipo and are willing to pay Oladipo, but he just still goes and signs in Miami anyway. Yeah. I mean, again, like it's, it's, I don't think Houston intends to give him the contract he wants this summer. I just like, why? Like, like why? If, if they do that, they are just openly telling the world that we are not a good front office anymore. Um, and um, like it, it makes no sense. He doesn't fit into their timeline. Uh, you don't want that type of money on your books. So um, the only other option is just let him walk. And um, <laughs> letting him walk, um, it seems like a really stupid thing to do, right? But if you look at the guys that have graduated from the Rockets front office, they do that a lot. Like Daryl Morey let Chandler Parsons walk. Um, Monty McNair at the Kings, he let um, Buddy, not Buddy Hill, I'm sorry, um, who, who, I'm sorry, who, who am I thinking uh, Bogdan, of? Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich walk, right? And a lot of people criticized him at the time. And, like, this is just something that they do. Like, they really value the flexibility in cap room. And they, they when they're in rebuilding mode, specifically, like, the way they look at dollars and cents is, like, we only want to spend big money is if, if that is a franchise cornerstone type of player. Like, even Christian Wood, they didn't give that type of money to, right? Like, they seem to kind of look at players like if they if they aren't a cornerstone piece we aren't giving them that cornerstone money and Oladipo I don't view in 2021 as a cornerstone piece so my assumption is they don't want to give him cornerstone money which I I that part of it makes sense which is I just don't understand why you acquire him then in the first place the cap space to me isn't that important because I don't know who's going to want to go there and I also just you look at salaries now around the league um, unless you're going to take back a Westbrook or a Wall, who you already have, uh, these <laughs> contracts are so short that it don't, that whole salary dumping game, yeah, it might exist. But you know, are you going to get a first round pick for taking on Dwight Powell over the summer? And if you are, you know, you didn't need all the cap space in the world to do that anyway because he's making twelve million dollars or or whatever it is. Well, maybe they don't even see themselves as as a place to salary dump, right? Maybe they just like to, maybe they just want to use the space, right? Like, which is like, I agree. Like, who who are you going to spend money on? I don't know, but like, 
this it, I I just you know from studying this front office over the last ten years, they really like ca- when they're in rebuilding mode, right? Like when they're a contender, they seem to spend money. Uh, I, I, as in like they they tend to give up you know worse contract, right? Like I'm not saying they're they go crazy when they're contender, right? Like, that's obviously not mm-hmm. the case, um, but we've seen them give out bad contracts as, as contenders, right? Like Ryan Anderson, right. Is a great example of that. Like they just gave him $80 million over four years. Eric Gordon, right. Another good example of that did they, they gave him a, a huge sum of cash over the past six seasons, right? It, it is one of those things where like, once they get to that point, they are willing to spend. Once they have that cornerstone piece in office, they will spend. But once, when they're in rebuilding mode, they don't team, they don't tend to spend that much and they tend to value the space like crazy, which is, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they do with it. I am surprised that you brought that up, that Daryl Morey didn't um, extend PJ Tucker and then bounce. I was convinced that's how everything was always going to end. So, um, Here's a name that I don't think is being talked about enough because I assume they want to keep him, but I also don't know that you can look at him and be like, well, we have to keep him. But I'm sure they're getting calls on Jay Sean Tate, who is, can just be a monster defensively. We don't know if he's going to be able to hit threes long term, but he can do some you know physical stuff um, with the ball in his hands too on offense. Do you think they'd be open to moving him or is this you look at him and it's like, okay, well, he has two more team controlled years at under 3.5 million total. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, I, I think they'd be open to trading him, trading him. Like, again, like the, he is not a he I, I don't think anyone on this franchise is untouchable. He, even even Christian Wood, I think he has going to be my next question. I, yeah, I saw that they yeah. weren't willing to entertain offers on Christian Wood. And I was like, oh, are they planning on being good in, in one of the next two years? <laughs> like. Yeah, like I, I, I think I think everybody has a price. It's just it's just a matter of like what that price is for Jay Sean Tate. I imagine they want a first rounder back, right? Like, and a, probably a good first rounder. Uh, I I don't think he gets moved at this deadline, but I I I don't think he's untouchable. No, for sure, for sure, he's definitely someone to watch over the next couple of years. Do you? What do you? Have you enjoyed like watching him? Do you view him as someone who can contribute at a fairly high level to a really good team? And I think look. Um, I, I think you talked about this with Jonathan Fagan on your podcast, which I listened to before we did this, was that if the Rockets have all these like kind of good players, why aren't they better? And it was sort of a fair question. I know they've been banged up, but I look at this roster and I'm like, yeah, he can help. And yeah, he could he could help. And it's like, oh, the Rockets have lost um, one trillion games in a row. But for Jayshon Tate specifically, do you see him being someone who can contribute at a high level in a you know a semi-significant role to a really good team? Perhaps off the bench. The The problem is like, these coaches do not like playing young players in, in, in big playoff games, right? Like, and I'm, I'm not just talking about like a specific kind of coach. This, this extends to all kind, all coaches. They don't like playing 20 year olds in the playoffs, right? Um, but I, I do think that he can play 15 to 20 minutes at this stage of his career in a like in a big playoff game because he's shown that kind of. I don't want to say intensity, but that type of those type of smarts defensively, right? Like he is really intelligent uh, for a twenty-year-old. He knows where to be on the floor, and I think I think that kind of stuff is valuable. But um, I would, if I were a contender, I'd be more likely to trade a first-round pick for him uh, if he's a year or two older than as of right now. It's just, I just, I, it's trading up trading a first rounder for Jay Sean Tate right now even with the team controlled years it just it seems like a lot it seems like especially because this guy was playing in Australia last year right, right. like this is uh he is he has shown that he is probably worthy of an NBA rotation spot on a good team but 
I I would be really really scared about giving up a first round pick. I've bandied about where it's like, you know, what if it's the Nuggets like who really and maybe Tate's a little bit too small for them, but he could defend really big. Uh, but like if they're giving up their first round pick, that's a team. But you you talk about not wanting to play twenty year olds in the playoffs. I don't think Mike Malone wants to play twenty year olds ever. So <laughs> that's where that sort of. Uh, that's where that sort of falls apart. But that was like a team where I thought like, yeah, why you might as well just roll the dice um, or, or maybe not because you do bring up some good points. You want someone who's going to help you in the playoffs. And do you trust uh, a 20 year old to do that for you? I honestly don't know. And him specifically, uh, again, he's a really good, def- a defensive monster. I would call him, but at six, four, it's, do you trust him guarding like the, the biggest of the big wings? Yeah. And at some point, Denver is going to need to find their Paul Millsap replacement, right? Like they just, they cannot, they cannot expect them to play as much as they, they've had him play over the past few years. But um, yeah, I, I, he is, he is really impressive. You're right. Uh, and I, it's one of those things where like, uh, it's, it's just, I'd want to see more of a resume before I trade for him, you know, because this could just be like a one-off type of year, even though, he was really impressive in Australia. It's one of those things where I just I still would want to to, to see more of a resume before I trade a first round pick for him. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. I would say Christian Wood. Then, what would it take to even get the Rockets to consider it at this point? Is it like he's in two first round pick range? Yeah, two to three, and, and I think one of those first round picks have to be really good. Ooh. I think, yeah, I mean, because he he is. His production is crazy, man. Like he 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 was putting up twenty and tens pretty regularly for the Rockets, and like that kind of player is like really valuable. And I I don't think he's like the second best player on a championship team, but I, it's possible he could be the third best player on a championship team. Like he's he's that talented. Like he it, defensively, he has a long way to go. I should say that. Like defensively, um, you know, he's shown some strides. He can know, really move, but it's. It's like incoherent yeah. movement where there's like not a necessarily always a rhyme or reason to what he's, but he can cover a lot of ground. Yeah. And specifically in, in an era where we're really going back to a drop back defense, like switching is it's, it's still prevalent, right? Like the, the bucks are doing a lot more switching this season, but like we're as the NBA overall, like there, there seems to be a trend back to more traditional drop back defenses. And he is just not good as a, at a drop back defense. It's like he, he, you know, he showed some moments before he got hurt, but up until that, that week or so of playing, like he was not, he could not seem to grasp that concept. But, um, yeah, two, two first round picks is definitely what, what I would say if, if I were Rafael Stone, that would be my asking price for sure. That, that, that'd be like the floor, but I would, I would want to hold on to him a little bit longer to see what he could become. You're at the issue of too that I think the teams that should be most interested in him, I'm not sure they're not very good now. And I don't know that you can justify giving up that type of equity for Christian Wood. And then yeah, there are teams that are good now where you could say, Hey, yeah, give two first round picks or a pick and a, a young player, but whatever picks or young players that they have, because they're so good, just might not be good. You know, Boston could maybe use Christian Wood or they maybe they want more of a defensive backbone, but that would just be an example of like a team that, yeah, has all its draft picks, has some young guys, but like who are you actually getting from them that's Going to, or what even when looking at the picks that's actually going to excite you it would have to be first round picks and but the problem is like their first round picks aren't that good right, right. like so you'd have to ask for probably three at that point right <laughs> i think it would have to be like a young player like can you get naismith and two 
first round picks, something like that. Naismith might be, yeah. If you if you throw in a young player like that and uh, two first round picks, maybe, yeah. Um, I don't I don't think he's necessarily the big man that Boston needs, but he would certainly be be interesting there. What would be more likely then this season that Christian Wood gets traded or that John Wall gets traded? Um, that you weren't expecting it, that question when you jumped on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's likely either of them get traded. Uh, I, I guess would because there's more of a market for him right now, right? Yeah. Um, what have you thought about John Wall so far this season? Um, he's fine. Uh, he, he's uh, <laughs> listen, like, like he's coming off a, a pretty significant injury, so I want to give him some slack. But like, yeah, he's he he is still a starting point guard in this league. And I think a good starting point guard in this league. I just, uh, he's coming off a pretty significant injury defensively. He still has his moments, but um, this is just a tough spot for him. He's having to carry a really, really bad basketball team. <laughs> he can still move really well with the ball in his hands. I, I don't know what I was necessarily expecting because we haven't seen him play basketball in like two decades or whatever it's been in pandemic time, but uh He's moved a, a lot better than I thought, but I'm, his his contract is still, from a team's perspective, is obviously not going to look that great. But yeah, look, the Rockets are going to be fascinating. I I think we're both in agreement, and it matter your opinion matters more that this team is going to be the single busiest team at the trade deadline this year. Yeah, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, it's, fascinating is a word. It's definitely a word, but. Uh, <laughs> Like here, here's my problem. When you say fascinating, it's like okay, so, so fascinating in the transaction game. I agree, but I have to watch this team every night. It's it's not fascinating for me at all. I do have a feeling that the the end product is not going to be fascinating to watch, even less so than it is now. Because like we went over with a lot of these players, you're probably not, you're doing this just to you know move guys that are going to leave this year anyway, and so you're not even necessarily getting guys that you want to see back. Uh, to, to, on the court you're doing this for second rounders or if you can you know for spencer Dinwiddie's bird rights but like that type of thing those are the moves that you're making and so that could make the the product there more of an adventure i guess would be to call it and imagine just it's like john wall victor oladipo and i guess they still have christian wood if those three are going to stick around and then gordon will be healthy again so they won't be like totally barren uh but i don't, I don't think it's going to be pretty <laughs> No, it's it's not. It's not, it hasn't been pretty. Um, now, to be fair, they've had injuries, so uh, I want to give them some some slack there. But it, it's it's been a pretty dreadful product <laughs> uh, for the most part. Um, by the way, we haven't even talked about their pick situation. Like the, the the reason they're tearing it down is because they pretty much have no other option but to go for the top four spot, right? And you know, even just as, as as far as last year, right? Like Cleveland and Atlanta both fell out of the top five, of, of the top four, right? And like, there's a pretty good chance that they're doing all this losing for nothing. They might end up with Miami's pick. And if you're a Rockets fan watching that on Lottery Day, oh my God! <laughs> like, like I just I would feel so bad. Like, it would be such a punch to the gut to do what was it 14 games in a row they've lost right now and there's going to be stretches like this throughout the season maybe not this big but they're going to lose like like nine games in a row at another point this season and they're doing all this losing for possibly nothing if, if they don't if they don't keep that pick it could be really really ugly yeah because so if you finish with a it's safe to assume that they're going to finish with a bottom three record there's really only as of now detroit and minnesota that's going to compete with them it looks like so 
if you finish with a a bottom three record, you have less than a fifty percent chance of landing in the top four. Yeah, like listen, if I'm Rafael Stone, like I'm trading or getting rid of anybody that helps me win basketball games because it seems like there's no way I can be good. Like if 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 I see someone make a layup in practice, he's getting traded the next business day. If I see <laughs> if I see Steven Silas crumple up a piece of paper and throw it in the trash can, he's fired too. A- anybody who's trying any who's making any effort to be good, he they're gone. They're gone. And my math was off. You have a fifty-two point one percent chance of landing in the top four if you have a bottom three record. For a coin toss, a coin toss, like that is nuts. You have to do it though. What is their other avenue? No, there, there isn't. There isn't. It's, it's just, it's, it's remarkable how screwed they are. <laughs> this, yeah, and but, and this is the season to do it. I think. Well, they own their own twenty twenty-two pick, correct? So, yeah, they could do it the next two seasons. Like, there's this two-year window for them. Oh, they own 2023 as well, don't they? Yes, they own 2023 and 2023. And so it's it's almost like you need to get the gut punches over with now because when you start conveying picks to Oklahoma City in 2024, uh, you know, that's like you're not you don't it's just in 2024 and 2026, you just don't have you can't tank in 2025 that's so far down and it's only one year. So you need like it's now like this is your window because you actually have a multiple year window to be bad and hopefully accumulate your own draft equity, you know, draft high and then develop a player because in all likelihood, like when you're looking at the Nets picks and swaps that they're getting, uh, I would say like 2025 is the first one that I pinpoint as, hey, maybe that could be really good. I guess 2024, but you need Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, um, two of them to fall off a cliff or um, two of them to leave. And so I just don't know at that. And so this is the, so I think they're doing what's necessary, but I'm with you. If you're watching that and you know, you have a 52.1% chance of getting a top four pick and you get fifth or something that's going to sting. The lottery is going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun uh, for me. I'm, I don't think it's going to be fun for everybody, but it's going to be definitely really fun to see if they if they pull this off and if they can actually keep their pick. Again, two two teams that had bottom four records last year fell out of the bottom four. Right, the the, the lottery has flattened to a to an extent to where e- even if you have a dreadful record, you may not keep a top four pick. And um, yeah, it's, you just it's, look at the teams and the fans that are going to be enthralled by the lottery this year you have oklahoma city is clearly going to be watching it maybe for their own reasons but also because of the houston pick houston obviously minnesota but then also golden states fan because of of minnesota uh Miami. Very, yeah. Uh, yeah very high stakes lottery this year yeah I, it's it's because you didn't expect this many teams to you didn't a three-team swap like <laughs> it's wow it's 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 grand entertainment. <laughs> um, Salman, thank you as always for doing this and coming on and giving me so much of your time. Once more, if you guys aren't following him on Twitter, Twitter, remedy that immediately. He's at Salman Ali NBA. That's at S A L M A N A L I N B A. He covers the Rockets for ESPN ninety seven point five and hosts the Red Nation Hoops podcast as well. Once more, thanks again, Salman. And I'm sure as you know, and it might be soon, I'm going to be pestering you again. Yeah, sure. Just don't watch the Rockets on League Pass, please. Just, 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 just don't do that. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.